Bam, we're live. Good morning. Gonna be a great show today. Part of the affiliate series. Uh, I, I I haven't done this before. In uh, 700 shows, my guest is here. There was something on my mind uh, so strong that I wanted to get it off my mind before I started the show. I got this DM today. Not accurate. I got it yesterday at uh, 3.28 p.m. It says, Sevon, I'm watching the old behind the scenes. It is a crime CrossFit got rid of you and the behind the scenes team. It opened the sport to masses. I cannot tell you uh, in, in the history of the dumb things that were done. Um, I know it's self-serving to say this, but firing me was complete fucking idiocy. I'll start by telling you this. I never hugged a single person inappropriate, inappropriately at work. Uh, let alone fucked one of my employees. I was the furthest thing away from a micromanager. I was available 24 7, 365 days a year, Christmas, everything. I never fucking took a day off. I gave all my employees the chance to come up to me, call me, approach me at all time. Imagine like 70, 80 people. Always. I was always available. If you called me or text me and I didn't get back to you, I would get back to you. I did not micromanage. I gave you the tools you needed to fulfill whatever project you wanted. I was friends with all the other executives. Yes, there were a ton of people who didn't like me. And in hindsight, I think they didn't like me because of my proximity to Greg. But really, they should have loved me because of that. Because I was so close to Greg, close to Nicole, close to, close to Bruce, close to Dave, I could get almost anything done in the company. And then on top of that, you can just look at any of the metrics at CrossFit Inc. that I was in charge of while I was there. They skyrocketed, especially in my last, uh, in my last two years. Probably the best two years I was there. Absolutely nuts. I was the greatest contributor um, by, by number of pieces of content to the CrossFit Journal or the CrossFit Media Machine than anybody, than probably any three people combined, to be honest with you. And I just, when I saw that today, I was like, that's nuts. And then I'll tell you one more thing. I didn't have to do the behind the scenes. No one asked me to do it. It wasn't part of my work schedule. And yet it made it so... 12 weeks of the year, I had to work 80 hours instead of 40 hours, and I had kids. It was nothing that was ever asked of me, ever, ever, ever. I just did that. Do you know how few executives anywhere would pick up a camera? It would be below them to do that. And I just saw that, and I'm like, man, they really, really shit the bed. And there's things that I can do that no one else can do and no one else will ever be able to do. I know they say everyone's replaceable. It's not true. It is not true. Anyway, I just, I just, I saw that this morning. I don't say that with any, um, anger or, um, God, it's, I, or braggadocio, but I was just reflecting on just my contribution and, and, you know, when they fired me, the reason they gave me was that my position was eliminated. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I, I would argue that that's why there's been a drought of uh, good content in a long, long time. Okay, that's it. Those thoughts and opinions are of my own and no one else's, not even Caleb's. Patrick, hi. Hey, how's it going? Awesome. I just got so fired up this morning in the shower. I'm like, man, they, like, they really screwed up. They did. They really screwed up. Uh, Trish, we know, Sevon, we've seen the downfall. Well, thank you. Man, that's one of my harshest critics right there, Trish. Patrick, 
is on another planet. It's called Africa. A place. I wonder how many Americans have visited Africa, Patrick. I wonder how we've got we've got a we've got a U.S. embassy here, so I think a good couple. Fifteen. <laughs> I I wonder, but I mean, even to the continent, I wonder if it's even one percent of Americans have visited um, the African continent. I think you'd be right. And and you know, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's just, it's it's a very where I am in Namibia. It's a very popular tourist destination. But um, I'm getting some weird error message here. What does this say? Can you see me? me? Okay, cool. My screen's gone back. Anyway, um, it's a popular tourist destination, but it's a huge continent. And I, and I really don't think um, – I lived in the States in California in 1989 for almost a year. And it was clear that a lot of Americans, uh, Americans didn't know much about Africa or had been to Africa. You, you lived in California in 1989, you said? Yeah, in Laguna Beach. Wow, that's a good spot. It is. Uh, um, how old were you in 1989? Uh, early 20s, 21, 22. Okay. I forget. I, so we're about the same age. I graduated from high school in 1990, and I was probably 18. Yeah, I, I graduated in 85. If there are these places that have this enormous effect on the human psyche if you're an American and you've never been there. And one mm -hmm. of them is, is most of the African continent, visiting China, visiting India, where if you think of life as a social experiment, it's just a complete different social experiment that they're running in Africa or China or India. And until you see it, and by see it, I mean actually, you know, spend a month there, two months there, try to have a life there. Um, you're kind of just missing out. You're almost like an, an incomplete human being. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, so certainly when I was a youngster and, and when I was in the States, I, um, I think America has always been like a, it's been a huge superpower, but I think there's risk in that because I think many Americans, and this is a generalization, but I think many Americans believe that the world begins and ends with the West Coast and the East Coast of the USA. And there's obviously a lot of stuff that's going on out there that's not the case. That's so different. That's so, so, so different. I mean, there's people who live in tents and like, and when I mean tents, I mean, um, you know, uh, uh, domiciles made of mud and thatch all over the world, whole villages. Yeah. It's, it's not a camping trip for the weekend. <laughs> No, it's, it certainly isn't. And there's obviously there's places that are more uh, more remote. I think, I think uh, Africa has some of the the last real wildernesses on the planet. Um, so there's places that are more remote. But I think it's just a very different, uh, very different kind of living. And I, I think the Peace Corps, um, the American Peace Corps, does a great job of of getting getting American youngsters out to other places around the planet and having them experience what other cultures live like. So I think that's a good thing. And, and it, it doesn't take long for the mind to reset either. You know, you could take someone who's a complete um, city dweller, you know, maybe never been off the island of Manhattan and take them into Africa, into a village. And, you know, the first 15 days might be hard. But after that, the brain really will reset. And uh, within 90 days, you will have a whole new person. Mm. There, there's actually a movie. Um, I've talked about it a bunch on the show. I wonder if you've seen it. 
they take a bunch of boys from Baltimore, inner city Baltimore, and they take them to a, a school in uh, somewhere in Kenya where there's basically where there's no electricity. And within six months, the kids don't want to go back to America. They're like, holy shit, this is so much better than the inner city in Baltimore. What is that movie? It won the Academy Award. Uh, oh, look, Caleb's. Oh, yeah, Boys of Baraka. Dang, you're good. Yeah, check this out, Patrick. This is a great movie, The Boys of Baraka. I'll have a look. Is, that a, is it on Netflix? Is it elsewhere? Where do I find that? That is a good question. Did that win the Academy Award? Definitely had to have been nominated. Where were you born, Patrick? So I'm, I'm born in Namibian, um, in the capital, in a place called Vinsuk, which is, uh, I don't know, it, well, it's just, I guess it's considered a city. We have around, I'd say, 350,000, 380,000 people. And the country is very sparsely populated. In fact, I think it may be, if not the least, then certainly one of the least populated countries on the planet. Uh, we have a population of around 2.5 million people. And it didn't get its independence here. Let me throw something that I learned too. It didn't get its independence uh, until 1990 from South Africa. Yeah. And yeah. they gave it to South Africa after World War I when they took it from the Germans. It was the League of Nations, which we know today as the United Nations. Yeah, that's right. You've done some good research. Spot on, man. <laughs> uh, so are there, are there a lot of um, Germans there, a lot of South Africans there? A lot of South Africans. Well, South Africans are... Um, I think for the longest time, when, when we were part of South Africa, we were, we were governed as a, I guess, like a fifth province. And so the Southern African culture between places like South Africa, Namibia, Zimbabwe, maybe Botswana to a lesser degree, is quite similar. Um, definitely a strong, strong throwback to the German time. So lots of German architecture, um, lots of German-speaking people. But when I say lots, that's relative to the population. So um, Caucasians, whites are, are, are very much a minority here. Um, the, the big ethnic group are the Oshibamba. They are probably, I'd say they make up 60% of the populace. But the, the, I guess the throwback to German architecture or German culture is very, very strong because there's lots of prominent buildings like churches and, and old administrative buildings and stuff like that that are kind of, you know, that are very definitive of that era and of that time. Uh, by the way, that's Caleb. Uh, below you, Caleb. Nice to meet you, man. Nice uh, he's, to meet you as well. he's it's it's fascinating too. Here we are with technology, the three of us on three different um, continents. Where's Caleb? He can't say, but it, I assume it, it, he's he's an American soldier, so I assume it's in a desert somewhere. Uh, okay, nice. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> how how does how does someone like you end up? Um, being born on the African continent, how did your parents end up there in Nambia? So, um, so my my mom's parents fled Germany at the end of the Second World War. So my mom was German, and my dad was a grew up in South Africa in Johannesburg, um, and of English and sorry, one of the cats is just missioning around there. Cats are welcome. Um, cats are welcome. Cats are cool. This is Jinx. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so my, my, my mom's parents, my grandparents fled Germany at the end of the Second World War looking for employment, uh, sailed to Cape Town in South Africa, and then came up to Namibia by rail and settled here. And my dad came from South Africa as a traveling, as a traveling musician and a traveling salesman. 
he came up here in the early 60s to look for work. And so they met and here I am. Wow, that's crazy. Why were your parents fleeing um, Germany? Are you Jewish? No, I'm not. But the I think um, my grandfather had served in the in, in the German military, but I think they were pretty from what I from what I remember from stories, I think they were pretty disappointed in the way things had turned out. And I, I think Germany at the end of the Second World War was probably a shitty place to be. Um, and he had a he had a master craftsman certificate certification as a as a vehicle mechanic, as a uh, like an LDV, a heavy duty vehicle mechanic. And so there was there were people looking for that kind of skill out here. And um, he knew some other people and they said there were opportunities in Africa. And so they set sail for Cape Town sometime, I think, around 1944, 1945. Uh, so right at the end of the World War and um, kind of made a new life there. Crazy. I, um, yeah. I'm, also, I'm also blown away at the fact that there was a railroad that went all the way from South Africa to um, Nimbia in uh, what night in in the forties? Is 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 that rail still act? Could you take a, a train all the way down to South Africa today? Uh, you could. There's a it, it no longer serves. I don't think it serves passenger traffic anymore. There's been quite a bit of uh, there's been quite a bit of decline in some of the infrastructure, but uh, certainly from a from a goods point of view, there's a rail line. Um, that connects the west coast of Namibia, which is a, a port called Walfish Bay, uh, with the capital, which is where I am, and then into the inland. So we're kind of like a big, um, I guess, like a big uh, sort of a transport hub into the center of Africa. You've got to, yeah, there's a whole bunch of maps you've got pinpointed there. And then all the way down to South Africa. Um, so harbors are very, very limited along the west coast. So kind of like down the, I don't know, you can't see me on the screen, but on, on, on the west coast of that map there, there's very limited harbor access. And so Cape Town is a big harbor. There's a couple along the West Coast. And then uh, on the on our side, there's Walfish Bay. And that sort of serves. So there's a really big and well-established rail network in Africa. And in Southern Africa specifically. Um, and so so you're born in Nimbia. And uh, were you born in that town? What did you call it? Windhoek? Windhoek, yeah. Windhoek. Oh, you're born there? Yeah. I was, I was born there in 1967, so I was 55 years old. I've pretty much lived here all my life. I mean, apart from, apart from traveling to the States a little bit um, and seeing some of Europe, I've lived here for most of my life. And how many, do you know how many people lived in uh, Windhoek when uh, you were born? No, no idea. But probably, I mean, I, we're 350,000 now. I'm guessing maybe under 100,000, maybe 80,000. I really don't know. And that is the biggest city in uh in Nimbia. Namibia. Namibia. Thank you. Namibia. 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 Yeah, so biggest city in Namibia. Namibia. Three syllables. Three syllables. Namibia. Yeah, bingo. Crazy. What what is that I hear? Do you own birds or that's wildlife? That's wildlife. I live uh, I live outside town. Um, on a nature estate, so I have a, I have a property that's in the bush, and we have like game that roams around, and we have birds in the trees, and it's really busy out there. Um, what what are the politics like in um, Namibia? Uh, it's a safe place. Yeah, very much so. So when when we became independent from South Africa in in uh, in nineteen ninety, the United Nations played a really big role. Um, 
in that process. It was called Resolution 435. And um, I think the the eyes of the world, as well as the continent, were, were, were very much on Namibia to see whether we, we, we whether we would be a successful democracy. Um, so I think everybody was watching. And um, there's a ruling party. They they are uh, and they've been in power since since independence. Um, and I think they'll continue to be in power for a long for a long time to come, simply because the populace that votes for them is the majority. And um, but it's good politics. I mean, it's it's shitty in some ways. There's corruption and there's nepotism. Um, there's inequality in many ways. But I think there's I've yet to. I've been fortunate to travel quite widely, and I, I, I don't think I've been to a country where I've seen like really good, spectacular governance across the board. So um, I think a lot of people assign that to being Africa, you know, that it's African politics. But I think in many ways, Namibia has risen above that. We, we, we're, well, we're well managed in an African context. And do all the people there get along? Does it, is, is it, has any of our, yeah. we have a, we have a sickness here in the United States. We have a lot of sicknesses and I apologize to, um, I, I saw that, um, people were wearing, uh, masks in Namibia and I apologize on behalf of all the citizens of the United States for spreading our fear, uh, to you guys. Um, but, but it seems like everyone here, um, is, is looking for a problem and some of those problems spread to other countries. But, you're, you know, we live in a country where I think it's 16% of the people have melanated skin, and, and you live mm-hmm. in the in, inverse of that. But, God, that would be so great for so many Americans to have to go to Africa. Mm-hmm. To, to, yeah. um, what's, it, what's it like there, you're, being that you're the uh, pale face and, uh, and the melanated people are the dominant people? Right. So, uh, I mean, we – We've been what? We've been independent for 30, 33 years, 32, uh, is that right? 32 years, 35 years, whatever it is. Um, and I think there's a lot of unity amongst Namibians. I think we, because we're such a small nation, there's a very strong sense of national pride. Um, and although there's, a, there's some racial tension, I think some of that is a hangover from the apartheid era. Um, I, was, I was raised in, in that, I grew up in that time. Um, I think we've done really, really well at disabling that and 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 and, and dismantling those mechanisms. And, and I think, by and large, Namibians are easygoing, um, peace-loving people. And and although we have thirteen ethnic groups here, you know, so there's like a there, there's huge potential for conflict. Um, and not everybody gets on all the time. But I think as a nation, we're a we're a peace-loving bunch. And I think, by and large, people get on well, which is. I think is maybe contrary to expectations. You kind of think that there'd be that there'd be friction between black and white, but there really is. I've seen worse elsewhere, a lot yeah. worse elsewhere. Um, in, in the United States, if a if a if a white police officer shoots someone who's black or arrests someone who's black, that's how they report it in the paper, right? They they yeah, they sure. they fan the flame, even though it's not relative to the story at all. That's how they report it. Do they do that there? No, they, they don't. I think, they, again, there's a hangover. I think sometimes, um, and I think the press plays a huge role in this. I mean, even huge. with our local media, you know, the, I think the battle that you guys are fighting with mainstream media over there and the narratives is really, really difficult and it's, and, and, and it's very poisonous and dangerous. Um, over here, I think sometimes there's a throwback to that or people make it something that it isn't. 
But if you read the comment thread on, say, a newspaper article where, um, uh, where invariably there was some, some sort of context of color, right, you, you know, racial denomination, um, that's very, very quickly dismantled in the comment section. Somebody will come up and say, oh, well, so-and-so because he's a white or because he's a black or whatever, and 30 people will chime in and say, you're full of shit and kind of move on. That's cool. Can you tell by yeah. everyone's last name? That's very cool. That makes me happy to hear that. When, can you tell by people's last name um, what their ethnicity is? Like before someone meets you, when they see your name, will you pronounce your last name for me? The Khuda. So it's a hard G. It's Dutch. I would have never got it close. The <laughs> Huda. Um, that was close. That wasn't bad. The Huda. I would have said the Goad. The uh, Huda. Um, do people know right away? before they even meet you, um, what, what you're going to look like? Yeah, I think so. I think it's safe to say there was quite a bit of, um, I guess, sort of cross-population with, with the Germans when they were here. So I think, I, I think a lot of the, um, I think there's a lot of the, the uh, Buster people that have German names, where the German surnames have infiltrated their culture. Um, but by and large, the ethnic groups here have very distinct names and the languages are distinctly different so you can figure out i mean you figure out with my name that i'm i'm not african or i'm not of african descent i'm a first generation namibian but um for for uh, most of the most of the locals here you can figure out they have like little uh I'm not sure what you call them like little punctuation marks on top of the o's and the e's that kind of signify that they're either damara or nama or herero or oshibambo whatever the case might be. But I mean, I'm a bit of a giveaway with a, with a Dutch surname. Do, are they called tribes? Do they call them tribes? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of uh, tribal, there's still like a lot of, I, I guess a lot of tribal culture, you know, so in some parts of the country, if you, let's say up in the North, if you want to access land, let's say you want to develop land as a, as a tourism endeavor, you need to go and see the chieftain. So even though even though there's very clearly defined laws that govern land ownership, etc., you need to go and see the chieftain, and you need to you know you need to be down with him, and you need to probably bring him some sort of a uh, I guess like a like a, not an offering, but a um, some sort of a buy-in in the form of a goat or a sheep, that kind of thing. So there's still a lot of really like strong traditions that are in place amongst the the, the various ethnic tribes. Um, do, do they, do you own the property you're on? Are you allowed to own property there? You personally? Yeah. 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 So property is, I, I think if you do a Google search, you'll, you'll find that property in Namibia, specifically in Vinshuk, uh, but also elsewhere in, 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 in the other towns is some of the, the highest priced real estate in the world, which is crazy. Um, but yes, you are allowed to own it. Unfortunately, many, many Namibians don't have the means. So there's a whole bunch. I think our unemployment rate is 57%. Wow. Which is really, really high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So super high. But that That's includes like Philadelphia. Just, That's like Philadelphia. Right. So so if you include the rural communities though, then it's not it's not as bad as it sounds. There's a lot of people that are subsistence farmers that are rural farmers who are essentially considered unemployed. But it's still a very, very high unemployment figure and the cost of living is very high. And unfortunately there's quite a big disparity as well between the, the haves and the have nots. So, so owning property, it's, it's, it's completely possible, but it's expensive. Um, when you say there's a disparity between the haves and the have-nots, does everyone still have a cell phone? Do these tribal people have cell phones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have, they have cable TV, and they, have, uh, they definitely have mobile phones. So, so that's been very kind of accessible and, 
I don't know whether it's affordable, but it, but a lot of people deem that a priority or a necessity. So you can you can drive through any rural village in the country, and there'll be there'll be satellite dishes affixed to a mud hut so that they have cable TV. So someone might have to walk 500 yards to get water, but they still have uh, Android. Yeah, hundred percent. That's exactly. I mean, that's a that's a great that's a great description. I don't think people realize uh, that about that about Africa. How many people actually have to um, travel to get water? I mean, it is a. I don't know how it is in uh, Namibia. I'm, I'm sure, sure there are certain parts, but there's there's definitely places all over Africa where that's what pe- that's the primary you know objective every day. You'll see lines of people yeah. waiting for water, or you'll see the women walking with the giant yellow jugs on their head, and you'll see just lines of people walking down the road back and forth. And some of those people, you know, walk ten miles just to get water each way. A, a lot of people. Sure. A lot of people. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's still very much part of rural Namibian life. Um, uh-huh. Namibia is very centralized, so so most of the commerce and most of the industry happens in Bunchuk, which is where I live. And then there's this huge expanses. Think uh, think Utah, think Nevada. Um, kind of, uh, you'll travel a hundred miles between two towns, and then in the north, it's even more. It's kind of even more spread out. So so in the north, in the very very far north, where the uh, where the the majority of the population lives. That's kind of like an industrial hub as well, like a commerce hub. But between that, there's just lots of people that are living, you know, that live as subsistence farmers. So they, they're cattle herders, they're sheep herders. Um, and for many of them, they walk, they walk a long way to get to water. The kids walk a long way to get to school. Um, what are you zooming in on there? I'm on my phone, so I don't have great, I don't, I don't have great. He's just, he's just, he's showing the, he's just showing the country. Right. So that big green dot in the top there, that's the Atosha pad. Yeah. That's a national park. Yeah, that's a national park. And then the area, so if you go, say, 12 o'clock from that, and so from the 3 o'clock of that green dot, yeah, from that. So if you go hard, uh, zoom it the other way, like drag it the other way. Yeah, so to that side, to the west, yeah. that's There's lots of people there that are just, you know, that, that literally just live in the sticks and that are herding cattle and that are herding goats, herding sheep, and they just, you know, they live a, they live a meager existence. It, it, is um, uh, Namibia one of the driest places in Africa? Did I see that? Um, one of the very lowest rainfalls, particularly the brown area that you can see on the map. I mean, we so the Skeleton Coast and the Namib Desert are a big part of what makes up our, our um, I, I, I guess, our country. And we have, I, I think the Namib Desert has something like five millimeters of rainfall per annum. And then for the rest of the country, it differs. I mean, I live in the center, so... It's a little bit more, we maybe get around four, 500 millimeters a year. There's places in the north against the river that get pretty high rainfall. But by and large, it's a very arid country. Yeah, I think I read that it gets on average 14 inches of rain a year, which is like I, we had that much here yesterday. Right. Yeah, so it's, you know? it's very arid. And, <laughs> and and as a result, things like agriculture, I think are there's very specific things that people farm and that people um people grow people farm with it, it's not a it's not a particularly lush place um when you were born there what was what was uh what was growing up there like you went to school you went to typical school went to elementary school junior high high school you played sports uh yeah i mean very 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 much country living i i guess the best comparison to namibia 
would be kind of, again, maybe Utah, that kind of landscape. And so kind of lots of rural towns, very easy, very easy going. But remember, I grew up in the, uh, in the sorry, I'm just ferreting around here with the dog. I grew up when, when the apartheid era was very, very much in force here. Um, and so many of the schools were segregated. My parents were, were adamant that I would go to a school which was multi, multi, um, multicultural. So I went, to, I went to school with black kids. I think at the time it was the only school in the country where there was a mix of whites and blacks and, 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 and coloreds and, and, and people of diff- different ethnic backgrounds. Um, was that illegal, Patrick? Was that illegal? Like, did you go to a school that was yeah. illegal? It was frowned upon. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't illegal. But it was, it, it was kind of, we were definitely the, uh, we were definitely, so this is, what would this be? This would be uh, primary school. The first primary school I went to, that was all white. And then I went to this, this next school, which was a private school. And um, it was run by a bunch of Catholic monks, and uh, Dutch Catholic monks. And uh, they had a policy that they were multicultural and, 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 and multiple ethnicities and so i went to this school and so my best in fact my best friend at school was a was a kid whose whose parents were were of color and um, his mom was very involved in the in the liberation struggle of namibia so it was kind of like a weird it was a weird time growing up but we were all being groomed for the military at the time uh national conscription was the thing so everybody every able-bodied male at the age of 18 was conscripted for two years of of military duty and so, you know, growing up was very, it was very easy. It was uh, lots of wide open spaces and, and uh, just like basic living. You drank from the hose pipe. That's me on the, with a big cheesy grin on the far right. <laughs> and I'm, what am I? I'm about, I'm 19 there. So you did go to the military. You ended up doing two years in the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And will your kids do that? No. No, so that was the, that came to an end when we became independent. Okay. Um, uh, for people who don't know, what was apartheid? So the the South African apartheid, the South sorry, African apartheid. Government, apartheid. Um, probably, I mean, it's a generalization, but in many ways, not really different from from what Hitler was doing with the with the Jews in 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 Germany and and uh, and Europe. It was it was essentially a a policy of segregation where people of color, i.e. everybody other than whites, was considered uh, a lesser being, and, and 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 so there was massive segregation. You know, people were people were um, they were forced out. The, the 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 white populace had access to all the amenities, all the education, all the commerce, and the blacks were essentially. I mean, there was no slavery, but it it kind of borders on slavery, and 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 so. There were, like there were certain sanctions. jobs they couldn't have, things they couldn't do, places they couldn't go. They had no so at, at the time they they had no access to any sort of skilled positions. You know, so they were all they were all used, and this was South Africa, which included we were then we were called Southwest Africa. So we're in Namibia now. We've been in Namibia since independence, but we were Southwest Africa, and 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 the policy was or, or the governance was all of South Africa and that included Southwest Africa. And uh, so so all people of color had no access to any kind of well-paying jobs. They were used as gardeners, as laborers. Um, so like a really dark time in the in the history of Southern Africa. 
Um, and this was law. And, uh, this was more than just um, cultural norm. Yeah, this yeah, was yeah. law. Like, no, no, like, no, like in uh, Europe, there was Jews weren't allowed to live in, in some cities. Jews weren't allowed to live in the city. They had to live on the outskirts of the city. There were laws like this that. Is like, no, this is no different. It was no okay. different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, Magnus. And, Sorry, Magnus Holmgren, a little like California against the Mexicans. Shut the fuck up. Not even close. Not even close to true. Not even close to true. I let Mexicans I let Mexicans clean my yard once a week. Not even true. You asshole. Let me tell you, working at CrossFit Inc. in Santa Cruz, I think 40% of the employees were Mexican, including the great Dave Castro. So you shut your pie hole, Magnus. Okay. Uh, okay, I apologize. Sometimes I have to fight with the guys in the uh, in the chat here. Uh, so, so very, so very similar to so what was going on with the Jews. They were considered dirty. They were forced to live on the outskirts of town. They couldn't have certain jobs. Yeah, and 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 so I, I think just kind of real hardcore racism that was enforced by law. And 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 obviously, uh, I mean, South Africa was ostracized from the from the rest of the world in a huge way. There were political sanctions. There were sporting sanctions. Um, there were all kinds of sanctions brought against South Africa. Um, and South Af- the, the South African government at the time were essentially fighting a communist threat. Um, the, the Soviets were well embedded in the Soviets, the Cubans were well embedded in Angola and in Mozambique and, 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 and countries that surrounded South Africa. And so whilst they were enforcing the apartheid regime, we were also at war with what, what we were told was essentially like the red tide. You know, the commies were coming. So, so wow. So that's a really tough time for the country. Basically, you have no ally from the West or the East. They were just isolated. Um, pretty, they, pretty they had much. Their hands tied, uh, tied behind their back by West, the West. And meanwhile, the East was thinking about coming in while they were weak and taking over. Yeah, and I mean, so, so, so the apartheid thing, and, and I don't know enough about it. I'm, I'm certainly no expert on the matter. I'm just kind of recounting what I remember and what what we were taught. But the um, you know, Africa had been colonized in so many ways by people, by the Dutch. South Africa was effectively colonized by the Dutch in 1657. And, and so comes this long, like, centuries history of, 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 of uh, slavery and, and, uh, and land grabbing and stuff like that. And then I think with, in the time where I grew up with the apartheid government, it was just this, it, it, it was kind of brought to a head because it had gotten completely out of control. And the... Where I live now, Namibia, we had a, um, there was a faction that was fighting for the liberation of Namibia, which was then called Southwest Africa. Um, so, so the current government, the, the ruling party, they were effectively in exile. They'd been displaced. And the same, same thing was happening in South Africa with the ANC, with Mandela. You know, they'd all been imprisoned and, and, and been exiled, etc. So it was like a really big, heady time, the, the, the late 60s into the, I guess, the mid-80s were like a really volatile time in, in, in Southern Africa. And Zimbabwe had fought their own bush war, you know, with Mugabe coming into power. So, so the southern continent or the southern part of, of Africa was very volatile and very unstable three decades, four decades ago. Um, did you play sports as a child? No, none. No, none. No, my, da- my dad was a prolific sportsman. He was a boxer. And he was a wrestler, and he was uh, he played a whole bunch of sport. I didn't like sport at all. I, I I kind of got into the I got into the party crowd at an early age. Yeah, me too. Me too. I didn't yeah. do any. I didn't do any sports either. Yeah, I did nothing. I did nothing. I learned. I, I I learned that I was physically capable when I went to the military. 
So, so even though the, even though my time in the military was at like a weird time in, in the history of, of the continent and of our country, the, uh, the lessons in the military served me really well and specifically, you know, the physical nature of it. So it was the first time you felt discomfort that like, Hey, sweating didn't mean to stop. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I have a very, um, similar, uh, upbringing for me. It didn't happen until I was probably like 34 and it was through CrossFit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and how did you end up in California, um, after the military? So I was, um, when I left the military, triathlon was just starting up here. We kind of, it, it was the heyday of triathlon. And, and um, I started, I left the military with, with a good amount of fitness and then got into triathlon. There was, a, there was an event out here that had a half marathon as a run. And I thought, well, I've, I've been doing a lot of running in the military, so let me sign up for that. And I, play, I played some water polo at school, so I was a reasonable swimmer. And then got into triathlon. And um, my first job after the military, I worked as a, I, I worked for a chiropractor, the only chiropractor in the country at the time. And, and he'd studied in, in Davenport in Iowa. So he convinced me that it'd be a good idea to become a chiropractor. And um, so I packed my bags, I packed my bike bag, and I left, I think, around March of 1989. And I traveled to, I traveled to um, Laguna Beach because he had friends that lived there. And they'd offered me a place to stay for a little while. And when I arrived there, I never made it to Davenport, Iowa. I was, I was so enamored with, with, uh, with Pacific Coast Highway and, and, and the culture along, the, you know, along your West Coast. So I stayed for a year, worked as a painter, worked on a construction site, um, worked with a lot of Mexicans, really good people. And um, just spent a year there and just kind of, I, I did a lot of racing, uh, traveled to, to Kona to go and see the Ironman. And kind of got around. I spent a year, almost a year in the states, just uh, kind of earning my earning my keep and and meeting people and having a good time. It, it, that is one of got to be one of the nicest places in the world. Uh, Laguna Beach, great weather, very yeah. safe, incredible architecture, shitloads of money. God, there's so much money there. You, you would. Yeah. When's when's the last time you've been back there? I uh, went back in '94 uh, and haven't been back since. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. It is you. You wouldn't believe it if you saw it. It is. Uh, it is something else. Hmm. Um, and then so so then you so nine is ninety four the last time you've been out of the country. No, no, I've I've traveled last time to the states. I I have a German passport because of uh, by descent with my mom. Um, so I've traveled to I've traveled to Europe extensively, and then I was fortunate. So apart from owning the affiliate, I own a bicycle shop and I've been heavily involved in cycling in Namibia for 35 odd years. So I've traveled to, I was at the, um, at the Beijing Olympics as wow. a, as a team mechanic. And, um, wow. I went to Australia for the Commonwealth games. Um, so I've been really fortunate in that, that sport has given me some, you know, some cool travel opportunities. So for the, uh, Namibians, uh, cycling team for the Olympics, you were the mechanic. Yeah. Wow. Do you have uh, any crazy yeah. stuff? Ha were you needed there? Any crazy stuff happened there? It was just a wild experience. I mean, going to Beijing and kind of, yeah, it, it was almost, it was kind of reminiscent of lockdown in the last two years, you know, like I, mean, I think they're a very heavily policed society and a very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Policed and, and, and restricted society. So it was interesting. Like the, the, um, 
the opulence of the games, you know, with lots of corporate sponsorship with Visa and Coke and all the rest of it. And so lots of money, the Olympic Village, but lots of shitty stories about people like locals that had been displaced and kind of almost made homeless to make way for the Olympic Village, which the athletes occupied. And then all of these massive stadiums and uh, and sports venues, which were, I mean, unlike anything I'd ever seen. Um, and then driving the cycling event, obviously, goes went outside of Beijing at the loops of the big wall, like a, a circuit of the big wall, and seeing Chinese soldiers standing by the roadside, just like like statues, you know, just like a very disciplined, very very military regime, I guess, and 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 not a lot of happy people by by all accounts. I mean, from that was my experience for the few times we managed to get out of the village. Yeah, how cool! And then yeah, how did you? When did your paths cross with uh, CrossFit? How many? Well, how many affiliates are there in um, Namibia? Five. 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 Wow, more than I thought. Yeah, five. So we we've got uh, we've got two in Vincent, um, us being the one, and CrossFit uh, sold out Vincent being the other. And then we have two at the coast: one in Walfish Bay, which is the harbor town, and then one in Swakopmund, which is like a seaside resort. It's kind of like our version of Laguna Beach, I guess. And then one up in the very far north near the Toshapan, where, where, where you guys saw on the map. So five well-established affiliates. Um, but we're a tiny, I mean, we're a tiny, tiny population. And, and how, so how, how did you, do you remember the first time you heard about CrossFit? Yeah, we saw, we, we, um, we saw the games on ESPN in 2012. And, and you knew right away when you saw that? Yeah, we knew right away. I mean, my so um, watched the games on ESPN, and I was coming off like a really long um, endurance racing stint. I was racing Xterra and doing a lot of off-road triathlon and a lot of trail running and stuff. So I just have like years and years of, of endurance sport behind me. Um, my wife comes from a bodybuilding background, and she was kind of, I wouldn't say she was between things, but we, we, we saw the games on ESPN and we were blown away. And I think that would have been around say june july or late july i think the games are pretty consistent the end of july early august so we saw the games in 2012 and then a kid who we didn't know at the time but who's now one of my best friends opened namibia's first affiliate on the third of uh, the 6th of january 2013 and we were his first members wow so we kind of saw the, we saw the games and then four months later we had our first affiliate open and um, Max and Pity, they were the so Max was the was was the head coach. He had a, he had his level one. He'd been working at an affiliate in South Africa as a student, and he opened the first affiliate here in as I said, I think the sixth of January. And so CrossFit in Namibia is what it's ten years old. Yeah, pretty much. In fact, it's ten years old in two or three days. And um, so you were the first members there. And what did you think about your first workout? Did you like it right away? Yeah, because I, I think the first the, the first workout was was uh, I forget what it was. It was box box jumps, and it was uh, I think it was some some running with some tires and some rope climbs. So all of that was kind of reminiscent of my time in the in, in the military, and it was hard, and it was completely different to anything I'd done. So so to me, it was a uh, it was like a breath of fresh air after after I think almost three decades of you know long cycling, running, riding that kind of thing. And I'm guessing there so was like limited. A I'm guessing there was limited equipment, so that's why you did those types of things, like tire flips and running and rope climbing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he had a he he'd been a student at a at a German school, and they had a gymnasium, so they had three or four ropes in the roof, 
because they were there. And then they had a cinder track, like a, uh, like an athletic cinder track, which was, say, uh, 300 yards or something like that, 250 meters, um, and a big lawn. And then he built a whole bunch of plyo boxes, him and his dad. His dad was a carpenter. So so he helped him build plyo boxes. And um, I forget what else we had. We had a couple of med balls. We maybe... And then as the affiliate grew, he bought more stuff. I mean, we didn't have uh, we didn't have Olympic bars. We had like these really shitty. We had we even had an easy curl bar in the program, and some some uh, some steel plates. And we had what else did we have? We had a pull up bar. Um, so like really basic stuff. So lots of burpees, lots of running, lots of air squats, uh, lots of push ups, lots of calisthenics, and and, and sort of basic gymnastics. And then as the affiliate grew and he had income, he was able to buy equipment. So we got a rower, we got some barbells, we got a so the, the affiliate kind of grew. And then by 2014, by 2014, we the second affiliate opened up. So there was like a, a bit of a breakaway faction from us. They wanted to do their own thing. And so the second affiliate opened up and then kind of it slowly sort of grew and it spread countrywide. Uh, I, I love hearing the fact that they opened an affiliate without barbells. It is yeah, had nothing. It's so doable. It's completely doable. I remember watching a, I remember watching a YouTube video about a guy. He's a he's a veteran, um, and I, I forget the name of the. There's like a really powerful clip, but he came back from the war, um, and he lost lots of friends, and I think his brother owned an affiliate. And uh, he was kind of in and out and he was drinking a lot and whatever, but he kind of gets his shit back together with CrossFit and then eventually opens his own affiliate and there's a picture and all he has is a garage and maybe a couple of tires he has, and, 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 and maybe a sledgehammer or something else. And I remember him saying in the video that if he wasn't able to teach the methodology in the absence of like a whole bunch of equipment, he was a shit coach. Yeah. And it stuck with me. Yeah. And, and, and you can still get world-class fitness. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it, it, it's been interesting. So I, I did my level three, I wrote my level three exam about a month ago. Wow. Congratulations. And, um, thank you. And, 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 and so kind of going through all the literature and going through the journal articles and going through the level one manual and the level two manual, and all of the other incredible content that's out there. Um, you you realize that the methodology is just they they, re, they keep referring to like the black box effect of the affiliate and the black box effect of the methodology and it's so cool you you don't need a bunch of equipment you don't need um in fact you don't even need to do good programming you know i think just by default the way the modalities are put together and the way the template works if you show up five times a week and you put the hammer down for the 60 minutes that you're at the affiliate you are going to be very, very, very fit. God, you sound like a CrossFitter. <laughs> I drank the I drank the Kool Aid in thirteen. Uh, I, I, it's funny because I saw this picture of your coaches that all got their level two, and I yeah. made the assumption. I said, "Oh, Patrick's not in there. He must have been like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm the boss. I'm not going to do it." But here you are with the level three, and I made the complete. Yeah. Uh, wrong assumption um did this did this level two that and that's your wife in the top left right that's my wife in the top left and below her is Kasten, and she's my business partner then below her is magna she's my box manager um to the right of the black t-shirt is billy he's one of the new kids he did his l2 the other day as well 
Then there's Dion at the top. Dion's like a super experienced coach. He's been coaching for, well, I think he's got eight or nine years under his belt. So he's been around for a while. And then the other guys aren't in the picture. So Phil, my other business partner's not in the pick. Uh, there's a couple that are missing there. But, but the cool thing is, with the exception of Denver, who, is a, who has a degree in sports science, the rest of my coaches are all L2s, which is, we're, I think we're eight coaches. Um, and I've just recently got my L3 and the rest of them all hold L2s. So we 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 really, I think we um we value the the education that that HQ makes available to the African continent. Um, where did they take that? Where where do where do Namibians uh take their seminars? So uh, South Africa has has a seminar staff. They have uh, there's Chad who heads up the Chad Teron who heads up the um the seminar crowd together with Chris Oman. They're kind of the OGs, and then Chad's wife Candice. There's also seminar staff, but they've just um, their second baby girl's just been born, so I, I think she's less available. But all the seminars traditionally have happened in South Africa. I did my L1 as well as my L2 in Cape Town. Um, my wife and Kasten, full. I think everybody pretty much did their L1s in in Cape Town, and then for the L2 that they did, HQ um, authorized the seminar at our premises. So Chad traveled from South Africa to us. And we hosted a seminar, I think, for seven or eight coaches here, which was wow. really good because the yeah, so the travel to South Africa is quite expensive, um, and and the cost of the seminar at the at the exchange rate is very very expensive. So it was cool that people got to do it at home and and, and were able to save on the travel costs. How did you do that? Did you reach out to HQ? You reach out to Nicole Carroll and the training team and said, "Hey, can we get an L two in uh, Namibia?" Yeah, I, I reached out to the I reached out to the seminar department. Uh, what have we got there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven of them. Um, so I, I told Chad that I'd like to host an L2. Um, and Chad and I are in contact a lot. He, he's, he's the new country manager for, uh, for Southern Africa. And, and um, he's been my, my CrossFit mentor since, since I've gotten involved. But um, I reached out to Chad and he put me in touch with the, with the ladies in the seminar department. And then they, did a, they sent me a questionnaire and they did a brief interview and I showed them the facility. And there were a couple of things that I needed to comply with. I needed an AED and I needed a couple of other bits and pieces. And then we were able to host the seminar at, at our affiliate, which, is, which was really cool. Is that the only seminar that's ever happened in the country? No, JP, uh, JP who's the, the head coach at, uh, at Sold Out, they hosted an L1 a year ago. And they had, I think, uh, maybe 12 or 15 signups for the L1. So it's the second seminar that's been hosted in the country. So they did the L1 a year ago, and then we hosted the L2 two months ago, where when whenever it was. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, and I don't know if it's still like this, but when I worked there, CrossFit was the only fitness organization that did um, accreditations uh, in the United States and all over the world. Right. They, they were the only one. And there was a reason for that. And uh, I, I think Patrick explained it because the methodology is so powerful and what you learn is so powerful that basically it can take anyone anywhere and make them super fit and healthy. And so obviously there was a demand for it and it went all over the world. That, that's why a lot of our competitors in the United States were so threatened because all of a sudden we were doing more seminars in a weekend than they were doing in a year. And then we were going traveling outside the country all over the world. I would have never yes. thought that there would have been one in uh, Namibia. That is that is absolutely so cool. Yeah, very very cool. And and that's a lot of work. I, I, I don't give a lot of love to HQ, but that's a but I do love that department, that training department. That's a lot of work uh, to do to organize something like that in Namibia, and it probably doesn't make them dick for money. 
I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't. So we had seven signups at a thousand US a signup. Um, I don't know what it cost them to fly Chad out for the weekend, but there was there was definitely a a, a kind of a minimum number. And I think COVID in many ways has affected um, how HQ approaches the seminars and how many people they want on board. Uh, I think um, HQ is also very cognizant of the fact that the South African rand and the Namibian dollar, which is linked to that are really, really weak currencies. And so we, we've seen a reduction in our affiliation fee uh, last year. Wow. And, I didn't um, know that. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. They dropped the affiliation fee for, for uh, I don't know whether it's for all of Africa, but, but certainly Southern Africa, we pay less than what we did two years ago. And it's a big deal. I mean, as we stand at the moment, the exchange rate is something like 17 or 18 South African rand to one US dollar. So it's, it's lousy. Um, but they were really cool. You know, we, they'd initially said they needed eight people to make the seminar go. And then at the end, we only had six because people, it was simply too expensive. And uh, they let us go ahead with six. And then they gave us a, a um, what's the word for it? A scholarship as well. So one of my coaches was able to attend on a scholarship spot. So we, we got seven guys. And it's a big deal, you know, for the, for the local community to have seven new L2 coaches. You know, to have, have seven people that are serious about their coaching and, and, and the time that they spend with members, that's a really big deal for a, a community that probably doesn't have more than countrywide 700 members. Did any of the other affiliates send trainers there to take their L2? doesn't sound like it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, they, they did. did. Oh. So, yeah. So we had uh, the Lazan was from the, the box up in the north. And then Reiki was from the other box in town, and then the other five were mine. Um, do you guys all get along? All the boxes there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a. There, there was a time where it was, you know, like the early days where it was maybe a little bit, uh, a little bit wobbly, um, particularly when there were new affiliates forming, and there was maybe, you know, what it's like. I mean, it's it's a new community, and people are figuring things out. And um, but but at the moment, we have the we have a, like a really good collaboration, sense of collaboration between the boxes. We have an annual throwdown calendar. Each of the boxes hosts a throwdown, which we do for charity. Um, and we all travel to each other's boxes and go and throw down together. And uh, we try and host seminars and we involve everybody and we try and sort of, we try and drive the educational side as well. I, I run like a, a trainer directory, the same thing that HQ does on, on the main site. I run that as a WhatsApp group and all the trainers are on that. And we share information and we share resources and we, you know, we're, we're a tiny community. So if we don't stand together, it's, 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 it's uh, there's very little impact. Do all of your um, trainers there have other jobs too? Like you have a bike shop and you have the gym. Does everyone there have multiple uh, vocations? Yeah. So I, I think, I think there's really, so out of my trainers, including myself, everybody holds down a day job. Um, which is why I have eight coaches. So, um, and I think for the majority of the trainers at the other boxes as well, pardon me, they also have day jobs. I think there's, I don't think there might be one. I think JP, who's the head coach at the other, at the other affiliate, I think he coaches full-time now, but he had a day job. Um, and I think everybody else is just, you know, they, they, they coach part-time. But for me, that changes in three months at the end of, at the end of March. Um, I'm selling my, I'm selling my share of the bike shop and I'm going wow. into full-time, going into full-time coaching on the 1st of April. Is that a, is a congratulations in order? Do you want to do that? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, so I'm I'm pursuing a a spot on the African seminar staff team. Um, and so so the, the the plan is to um I'm busy writing my CV. I've never written a CV in 55 years. So I'm busy writing a CV. Um, and then I'm I'm hoping to get a spot as an intern. And then the idea would be ultimately to end up on seminar staff as well as so I'd really like to teach the methodology. Um, and then obviously also just run my affiliate and, 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 and be free to run that the way, you know, running the bike shop. So I, I coach in the morning. I coach, uh, I generally coach a master's class at 6 a.m. And then I go to my retail store and I do retail till five in the afternoon. Then I go back to the affiliate. So it's kind of like I'm a, I'm, I'm a little, not torn between things, but I'm, I kind of feel I'm all over the place. Is there room for growth in Africa? I know that there's very few affiliates there, but I also I know the economics in on the continent are different than you know, let's say the United States. Is there could could there be a day where there's three thousand affiliates on the African continent? I don't think that's impossible. I I, I think I think economically, financially, it's the is, is the big barrier for affiliates. You know, the the, the affiliation fee paid uh, paid in US is is a tidy is a tidy sum, and so I think. For for any fledging, the, the the lady that you had on a couple of days ago is her name Cat, Cat Sharon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She ran. So I listened to her part. Well, I listened to her episode today, um, and and she was talking about training out of her garage because she simply couldn't, you know, she couldn't afford to affiliate. And so I think that's the reality for 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 lots of the, certainly in Southern Africa, the the, the barrier is financial. But um, if I look at the CrossFit Africa page. There are regular posts of a new of a new affiliate that is just open. So I mean, it's not like they're opening on a daily basis, but there's definitely you know there's definitely traction, and 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 I think in terms of the curve globally, we're probably five or six years behind what the rest of the world is doing in the CrossFit space. But I think it's catching on, and I think um, I think the the struggles that the world is facing in terms of obesity and diabetes and and um, cardiovascular disease. We're not, you know, we're not um, immune to that, and we're not separated from that. So we we kind of face the same problems, and I think the value of affiliates will continue to grow in Southern Africa. I, I, um, you know, the, the the quote that 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 coach made so many years ago, where he talked about the affiliates being being lifeboats. Um, I think that holds true more than ever, and I think in an African context, that's going to become more and more prominent in the next five or six years. Um, do you see that in Namibia? I when I if I when I think of Namibia, all the places I were in Africa, there were no obese people. Now, granted, I haven't been there in in I don't know, fifteen twenty years, but I spent a lot of time over there, and I saw zero obese people. It was like zero. Um, Where were you? Uh, mostly in the in the sticks, you know, uh, Kenya, Mozambique, um, Uganda, right. but in places I, I was in villages. You know, I was with. Right. They had no objects. There were no cars. They didn't even. There were no cell phones back then. Um, you know, it was the it was the starving class. The people, you know, walking to get water. Correct. Uh, Correct. Have you read the Have you read the Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter? I did. I had him on the podcast. Yes, I had him on the yeah, podcast. So, so he talks in the book about you know people people that live in like a rural lifestyle. They're walking for water. Nobody gets fat. Right. But in the city, and, carrying, and a woman carrying 40 pounds of water on her head with a baby on her back. Yeah, yeah. No shit. Yeah. I mean, everywhere. You know, You've seen it. So I, I, I think those I think those populations are, are, are immune to, to kind of like the soft Western living. But in a place like Vintuk, everybody has access to fast food. Everybody has access to junk. 
Um, it, uh, 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 um, school sport is being cut from lots of curriculums like it is being done in the rest of the world. Like It's just people are softer. And so you, you definitely see obesity. Um, I don't think it's as prominent as it is elsewhere in the world. I think, again, I think we're behind the curve in that, in, in that regard. But there are a lot of people. I mean, last year when COVID was here, uh, last year and the year before, there were lots and lots of middle-aged men that died, guys my age, because they because they were they were thirty percent body fat and they hadn't you know they hadn't done a push-up in ten years. And so to come back to your question about affiliates and the value of affiliates, I think people are getting sicker by and large. I don't think it's getting better. I think it's getting worse. And 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 so the value of the the value of affiliates, I think, will will continue to grow. Uh, you guys are on the metric system there. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, do, do you see? I, I'm. I'm. I'm so uh, culturally sensitive. Um, do you see anyone um, every day? Do you see someone who's 136.078 uh, kilograms? That's 300 pounds in the United States. Like I. I like I'm gonna. When I'm done with the, with you, I'll probably take my boys out and we'll go down and in, in, to the lighthouse and watch the big waves and stand in the rain. And I and I live in a beach community that's super fit, but I am gonna see someone who's 136.078 kilograms. Whereas 20 years ago, I'd have never seen someone that big. Never, yeah. ever. Do you see that? Like today, will you see a 300 pound person? Um, not today because we're on holiday. So I haven't been down to town. <laughs> I, haven't been to the but, uh, I, I think generally, if I go, if I go to the grocery store, maybe not 136 point whatever, but maybe 120 or 110, you know, so I, I see lots of, um, I do a lot of people watching. I'm, I'm fascinated by, I'm fascinated by how people treat themselves or don't treat themselves, you know, and, 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 and I'm acutely aware, particularly of people that are carrying more weight. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely see a lot of people that are carrying a lot of excess weight and it's worrying. And, and, and more than that, I see a lot of kids that are carrying excess weight. God, man, uh, I, there's this place we have here in the United States. It's called Disneyland. Yeah. And you will see, uh, if you go there, you will see some stuff that will uh, break your heart. You'll see five-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 15-year-olds who are so obese that they're being pushed around in carts. And, and that terrible. amusement park should just be where your kids run free, right? I mean, it's a massive place yeah. made for kids. Yeah. And, and it, these won't be isolated incidents. You will see kids that are you know, their bodies have already reached a point of obesity where it's been, it will never be, they'll never, they'll never be normal. Meaning they've stretched out their skin or they've done something to, you know, mm -hmm. really damage their, their, uh, their vehicle that they're here to traverse the planet. To, to me, that's criminal. Um, yeah. that, that, that to, to me, that is, um, that is neglect. That's gross neglect on, on the part of the parents. And, and, and maybe that's going to upset people when I say that, but I just, I, I think parents need to do better by their kids. And and thankfully, what you guys see as the norm, maybe you're seeing, say, three out of 10 people or five out of 10 people that are out of shape and out of weight and are kind of, you know, that are moving to the to the wrong end of, of, of the fitness wellness continuum. Um, for us, that's less, but it's not, again, we're not immune to it, you know. So so I see kids at school that have no athleticism. We, we have a school right next door to us, right next to our premises. And... Um, they they don't have a physical program so we did the physical program for them and and we were getting kids in so we had a, a girls and a boys group on a tuesday and a thursday 
and my wife ran both of the groups and it's worrying that there are kids that have no concept of where their body is relative to something else you know like a their vestibular system isn't well developed um they have shitty balance they have shitty range of movement um they're carrying extra weight they can't run 200 meters without having to sit down and that's not how i grew up that's not what i remember and to and be you, fair you weren't even an athlete as a kid no i'm look i'm, I'm i think i'm just um I'm small. I'm what am what am I? I'm a, I'm 176 1, 1.76 meters. I'm probably five five nine. Oh, yeah, you're I'm a midget. Five, nine you're a midget. I'm, you're a midget. <laughs> I'm games material based on the show you did with Dave. I'm I'm right in the sweet spot. Yes. Yeah, and and I'm probably um, how, a, I think I'm 100, 170 pounds. So I'm a small guy. How did that? You're only five eight, by the way. Uh um, yeah, still, still three inches taller than me. How, how, um, how did that program start at the school? Um, did you guys go over there? How, how does that happen? You guys saw and you guys went over there and offered your services. Uh, it was kind of it was a little bit of both. They, they, um, some of the kids showed an interest in the. So, so when we started the affiliate, we were right next door to them. We had this. We got a narrow corridor between two big show halls, like two big uh, kind of almost conference venues and that were be that weren't being used. So we got this corridor which we did the original box in when we opened the first when, when we opened the affiliates in eighteen. And um, they were right next doors. When I say right next doors, they were fifty meters away. Um, and so some of the kids showed interest and then one of the teachers walked over and then we got a conversation going and and, and that kind of went to um, they wanted everybody to do it, but then there were some parents that were resistant to the idea and 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 uh, we didn't want kind of like a loosely defined thing where kids were kind of coming and going when they felt like it. We, we wanted some sort of commitment. Um, but eventually that ended up with, with uh, these two groups, uh, like junior girls and senior girls and junior guys, junior boys and, and, and senior boys coming twice a week, which wasn't nearly enough. Um, and then when COVID came and the schools were closed down, that fell by the wayside. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the parents didn't feel that that was a priority for their kids. So they, they stopped coming. Shame. Yeah. Um, have you ever walked up to – do you ever recruit people? Do you ever see someone? You're in line at the store and you see someone. Have you have you recruited anyone and been like, hey, I got something for you? Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. Um, we have a our, – our community, which is I think around 240 people. I think we're about 240 people, 250 people. They – they own Damascus. And uh, when I say they own Damascus, they just they are so emotionally invested in the, in the affiliate and in the box and in the community that they go out and canvas people. Um, I, I don't think I've ever walked up to somebody and said, hey, I do CrossFit. In fact, people have come up to me. Um, again, we're a small town and I've lived here all my life. So I know lots of people and lots of people know me and the same applies to my my business partners and my wife, you know, we're a small, we're, we're a small community, but, but the members that we have are, are the most effective advertising mechanism and, and, and kind of referral mechanism out there because they just, they drag people through the door. You have one third of the country's CrossFit members. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, the, the, the box, the other box in town, um, 
I don't know what their no, nobody's numbers are, are, are public, but I, I see what what shows up um, on the open leaderboard and at, uh, at throwdowns and stuff. And so, you know, my 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 assessment of 600 people countrywide is a is an educated guess. Um, but we're definitely the largest affiliate. And then, but the the other affiliate up in the north, Franchement, across the Tumab, also very very strong community. And then JP, the other the other affiliate in town, also very very strong community. So between the three boxes, we probably make up, uh, I'd say, eighty percent of the membership. And then the the two boxes at the coast are very very small. Um, I wouldn't venture a guess as to how many members they have, but they don't have the same kind of populations, and so I don't think they have the same kind of traction. Uh, I want to address this comment here. Uh, last night on sixty minutes, there was a segment on obesity contributed it in large part to genetics uh, said no amount of diet or exercise would fix it. That 60 minutes has it, what a sad, sad state of affairs. They also did a piece on um, overpopulation where they said 70% of the planet is um, inhabited by humans. I dare anyone to start Googling around and see if they can find anything remotely close to that. Um, there's already, there's already uh, a stat saying the entire world's population could fit in the state of Alaska. Um, it, it's it's absolutely nuts the propaganda that's coming out of our TV these days. Uh, they're they're also saying that I don't know if you've seen recently it's getting a lot of pushback, but they're saying exercise has its roots in white supremacy. That's also like saying um cancer research has its its, its cancer research also has its greatest roots uh, in white supremacy. Hitler was probably funded cancer research uh, relative to uh, money spent on cancer research more than anyone. And he was actually very close to it. And, you know, his scientists won two Nobel Prizes. Does that mean we're going to kick away uh, cancer research? I mean, just the insanity that that our media is doing is they're, they're pouring they're pouring gasoline on a fire. It is so sad. And I'm sorry, stop watching 60 Minutes. It means you're old. OK, do you guys have 60 Minutes over there? Did you did your parents watch that when you were a kid? No, we don't. We don't have uh Apart from some channel stuff like sport, and I mean, we have news channels, we have BBC. Sixty Minutes is probably out there somewhere, but um, I'm I'm wary of media in general. I don't read the papers. Um, I don't read the news. Oh, good on um, you. I talk to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I talk to people, and then and and and. Uh, but uh, but I generally spend no time reading any sort of any news because I just I, I think particularly. Um, the stuff that's coming out of the United States and, and, and out of Europe, you, you just never know what the agendas are. And so I'm, I'm very, I'm very um, cautious of what I take on board and, 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 and what I, you know, I, I think so many people just kind of take stuff at face value and they make it fact. They just, it, it's fact because somebody said it, which I don't subscribe to at all. I'm, I'm, I'm very critical of what I take on board. Yeah, good on you. Smart. And you, you know what? That's um, Some people would say, no, you need to know what's going out there. But I think some people are very naive to the fact that even those of us who are the most vigilant about um, asking questions, we can still easily be brainwashed. All of us, all, no one is not susceptible to um, being uh, manipulated. Nobody. You know, when, 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 when I was 18 years old and we were conscripted, um, that means drafted. We believe, a, that means drafted. Constructed. Yeah, yeah constructed. Okay. It's the same as being drafted. So like the same as the Vietnam draft, I guess. Um, so so we were conscripted or drafted, and 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 the the propaganda machine at the time, the the apartheid regime, the apartheid government, was so good at brainwashing 
an entire population that the fight we were fighting was a noble fight, etc., etc., etc. So I, I agree with you. I don't think I don't, I don't think anybody's immune to being brainwashed. Um, I think discernment is a is a big part of the conversation. Um, what you lend your ears to and what you lend your eyes to. But by and large, I think the uh, media in many ways is just is so devious that um, I'd, I'd prefer to kind of keep it at arm's length. Really good people have done really bad things. Yeah, for sure. I spent like 30 minutes on an AI website uh, yesterday. Well, uh, artificial intelligence, AI? Yeah. It's basically, yeah. there are these websites now, and I could, I could type in, literally, I could type in how to sell CrossFit memberships to people. And please write me a script and it will actually write you out the most beautiful script. It is, you can ask it anything. You can ask this AI anything and it will give you, um, solid answers, but, um, but the answers are all surface level. There's no, Mm -hmm. there's absolutely no depth. They just feel it's, it's so highly manipulative and basically they're offering this service to people so that anyone can basically install an ai and it's it's open source so you could stall mm-hmm. install an ai on the back of crossfit damascus that's your affiliate crossfit damascus you could install right. ai open source and anyone could go there and ask a question and it would answer it for you based on this ai Crazy. and i and i and one of the things i asked it is i said um how would you convince people to um get a vaccine and it gave an answer. And then I said, how would you convince someone not to get a vaccine? And, th- and the AI put a stop to it. It said, we would never do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, holy that's shit. Incredible. That's holy I mean, talk about manipulation. Yes. That's crazy. I'm glad I brainwashed you. I'm glad. Good. Allow me. <laughs> Allow me to have a small corner of your mind. Allow me. Uh, do you have hurricanes there, Patrick? Hurricanes? No. No, oh, okay. No, does the West Coast have, have uh, at all hurricanes? Does the West Coast? No, we have uh, we have nothing like that. I mean, there, there, there's some uh, on on the East Coast. There's some tropical storms on the Indian Ocean on the Indian Ocean side, but on on the West Coast, the Atlantic is all kind of like deep sea storms that drive big fronts and drive in big weather, but nothing like hurricanes and and and, and cyclones and things like that. Okay, nothing weird. Okay. Apologize for my uh, cultural ignorance here. Um, you oh, ever oh, walk into fun. the you ever walk into the gym and there's like a, 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 a puff adder under a 45 pound plate or a lion's um, two lions fucking in the corner or anything crazy like that? Or like ants. Uh, I saw those ants when I was in um, Kenya and they would come out twice a day and they travel in that big fucking pack. I'd never seen anything like this and they make noise <laughs> and they travel around like a black spot on the ground looking for shit. And everyone's like, move, move, move. Like telling me as ants are coming in a circle. You seen that? Does, does that? No, stuff- well, I've, seen, I've seen I've seen it on the I've seen it on 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 the online. Okay. But um, where where we are, it's it's very where I live though. At yeah. my house, there's snake there's snakes. I've got wild game roaming around here. Uh, there's probably uh, there, there's some leopards on the property. Uh, so it's wild where I live. But at the affiliate, which is in town, it's all it's, it's very civilized. It's, it's kind of like you wouldn't. I think if you walked into my affiliate, it would look like any other affiliate uh, in the states, I guess. Yeah, yeah your gym is be- your gym is beautiful. How proud are you of you of your gym? Very, 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 uh, very proud. It's a, it's something we've worked hard, and it's, it's also something. I, I think the gym is a reflection of our culture. You know, so we, we run on time. Things are clean. Things are maintained. Uh, people are on time. 
and 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 the members take huge pride in their in their surroundings. You know, so people pack shit away and they clean up after themselves. And when something's broken, it's not left, you know, until it falls to pieces. And and and, and so I think the the space is just kind of reflective of, of of the mindset and the culture of the people that come to Damascus. God, look at that place. Are those? That's a, that's a, Go ahead. What's that? It's just beautiful. I'm looking at the wall balls. I'm like, they're perfect. I'm looking at that floor. You're doing a a nutrition seminar in there. It's just crazy. But I do notice that your roof is the standard um, African roof, uh, the corrugated steel. Yeah. So we have a a really, really cool landlord. We're we're in the center of town. And um, there's there's a – it's called the Winter Cho Society. So they're an agricultural – it's an agricultural venue for livestock and 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 farming uh, farming shows and stuff like that. And we managed to secure a hall on the perimeter of of that property. So we're literally we are like smack bang in the center of town, and we have the facility is about five hundred square meters. I don't know what that is in square feet, um, but it's a big it's a big place. We were able during COVID. You can see there's gray there's gray tiles on the floor. Yeah. Um, so that's where everybody stands. But before, when COVID was on, you can actually still see the tape marks on the floor. So we have enough space on the main floor for 20 athletes with enough space between for the coaches to kind of walk the lines um, and nobody to drop. And, and it was all kind of compliant with, 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 with COVID at the time. But we're really fortunate in terms of, of, of the size of the place. And then at the back, like right in the back of the, um, the next to the wall walls, to the left of the wall walls, We've got a, it's called the Forge. So we've got uh, a whole bunch of bike ergs inside there. And we do like functional cardio, I guess. So we have a couple of people that, that don't really want to do CrossFit, but they, they want kind of a, a body weight workout. And we've got some kettlebells and some sandbags in there and then a whole bunch of bike ergs. So we run some, some, uh, some separate classes in that. But we, we, we're very fortunate with the, uh, with the location and also the size of the space. When when the when COVID was going around, um, how strict how strict were they there? I mean, you're in the center of town, so I guess all eyes are on you. Um, did you yeah. ever have to close the doors? Did you close the doors for any amount of time? We closed we closed voluntarily before the government mandated it because we didn't know what we were dealing with, um, and 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 so. My then partners, they've, they've subsequently moved to Germany, but, but uh, the four partners then had a look at what was going on and we made our own call before the government shut the country down. So we probably closed the, the affiliate maybe four days before, be, before it became law, simply because we didn't know what we were dealing with and we didn't want to put anybody at risk. Um, and then as the information kind of came out, we reopened um got got a whole bunch of sanitizing equipment and etc cetera, etc cetera. but then things like masks were i'm masks sorry patrick were, i missed that how, how long before you reopened how long were you closed uh we were closed maybe for 14 days and oh, then that's we reopened no so so we carried on going but then we were forced closed and we were closed for 78 days wow okay yeah, yeah 78 days we were forced to be closed but we worked around that we um we have two entrances, so they they had they had different layers of, of uh, they had different layers of restrictions, and the one that was most severe where we were, where we had a curfew, you weren't allowed out on the streets after six p.m. and you weren't allowed so between six uh, eight p.m. 
and 5 a.m. you weren't allowed out of your house. So we couldn't run the box at all. But then when they relaxed that a little bit more, we kind of closed the front gate and we let people in through the back gate and we let smaller groups train. And then at some point we we gave every member a piece of equipment. So we gave out all the dumbbells, all the kettlebells, all the bumper plates. And then we wrote like a really elaborate home program with daily videos and, and all kinds of other stuff, which we filmed daily and sent that out via WhatsApp group. WhatsApp group. So we kept everybody training, but um, it was difficult. You know, there were lots of challenges around that. Did you ever get in trouble with the law there? Um, no, I don't think we did. They, they arrived, the police arrived one day and we thought that, that somebody tipped them off, but they were looking for directions to something else. And even though we were supposed to be closed, but we were open, there was no response. They kind of came to the front door asking for directions. Everybody like ran and hid to let everybody out the back door. <laughs> and, and, and one of my coaches, Marna, who runs, the, who, who, who's my affiliate manager, she kind of said, uh, thinking she'd be arrested. And they just said, hey, how do we get to this place or whatever? And she gave them directions and they left. So we never got into trouble. Oh, that's good. Um, I, I saw that you had the Bergner Strength uh, banner yeah. up in your gym. And then I also saw a yeah. picture of, of Mike Bergner, you know, on your Instagram. Did he actually come to your gym? No, we, we um, so Chad, who, who runs, uh, who's the country manager for, for Africa or for Southern Africa, he's also on the, um, he is responsible for the Bergner content, I guess, in Africa. So he's one of their coaches. And um, Bo, is it, is it Bo? I yep. think it's Bo. Yep. One of the fans. Um, this was pre-COVID. They were going to come and do a weightlifting seminar, several in South Africa and one in Namibia. And in preparation for that, we had the banner made. And then about, I think, maybe two weeks before it was supposed to go down, we didn't have enough sign-ups and uh, they had some change of plans. So we've never had them there, but that's something we're looking forward to in the, you know, somewhere in the future. We have, we're hoping to host them. You had the banner made? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, just... Uh, we thought we'd welcome them with one of their banners, but then that didn't pan out, but it's never been taken down. Hey, are you, are you a metal worker? No. You didn't make Why those, do you, ask? you don't make knives and bottle openers and. Oh, no, no. That's a, that's a good friend of mine. A guy called uh, Ivan Smith. He owns Nakut Blades uh -huh. and uh, he makes, he makes all my knives. So I've, I'm uh, oh yeah, there's the, that's the bottle openers. I gave those to a whole bunch of friends on father's day. Yeah. Those are cool. Very, very cool. So he's a, he's a, he's a blacksmith and um, he recycles, he recycles materials. So he'll take leaf springs from cars and saw blades and stuff like that. And because steel is quite expensive out there and he, he repurposes all of that stuff and then makes these incredible knives and, and cleavers that, uh, oh, he made that for me. I walked. So last year after COVID, um, there were a lot of people in the community, you know, e either members who had family members that died from COVID and um, other people we knew. We, we had a lot, like a big loss of life here. And uh, so a friend of mine and I walked from Bintuk to the coast, which is 200 miles, and he made me the knife for the trip. That's where that knife comes from. It's um, So he found an old coil spring. That's like from a car, right? That's yeah. like the shock in the front. Yeah. And he turned it yeah. into that yeah. knife? God, that's cool. That makes me want to. I, I don't have room for any more hobbies, but man, that sounds fun. Yeah, he's an incredible, he's an incredible, uh, incredible guy, and also just an incredible knife maker.
Um, why were people di- why were people dying there? Did anyone in your box die? Um, nobody from the box, but 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 members had families uh, family members that died, um, and and most of them had had uh, had kind of comorbidities or had had um, you know they had stuff that was that kind of predisposed them to getting the arses kicked. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. You didn't lose any members. No, we didn't lose any members. We had, uh, I think, maybe uh, four members uh, that that lost direct family, you know, uh, parents, um, and it, because we're such a small community, Namibians in general, and and, and Vince, because you know, you like, I know ten, is it somewhere around ten people personally that 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 lost their lives to COVID. Guys, my wow. age. Yeah, yeah. My my brother my brother in law's brother passed away from COVID. Um, a bunch of guys that I was at school with passed away from COVID, but they were all they all weren't uh, not 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 rocky ground. But I, I think it's safe to say that they weren't in good health. Like probably type like type two diabetics. Yeah, on, on and, medication. And, 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 on medication and 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 just out of shape, you know, just uh, kind of so 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 white white males between the age of forty five and fifty five, last here, last year were like sitting ducks. Literally, I, I can I can I can count ten names, right now of guys that I knew personally that aren't here anymore. Incredible. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know a single person, and I live but, around but and I live around a lot of obese people. But I think right. my county had 340 deaths total. Okay. I think so that's amazing that you wide, know 10. Yeah. But again, you know, so I think countrywide, we had 1,000 or uh-huh. nationally. Yeah. We had 1,000, maybe 1,200. I think that sounds about right. But again, because everybody knows everybody, you know people. And, and so, yeah, 10 people I know that, that aren't around. But they weren't, in, they weren't in good health to begin with. Yeah, crazy. Generally. Get your membership at CrossFit Damascus today. Damn right. (laughs) Thanks for the plug. (laughs) You're the only person on the continent listening. Sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You you obviously own an affiliate. Um, You've you you obviously believe in the methodology. All your trainers are you know the vast majority of your trainers are level two. You're level three. which is just crazy because you are in such an isolated location and yet you've gone out of the way. You have this box with 240 people. Um, you are about to become full-time. You have a great desire to, uh, to become a seminar staff member. All that being said, it's like, it's like so obvious, like you're about your, your wife's, uh, you know, you and your wife work at the same place. She's a coach. All that being said, why do you continue to now that you're established, you have the methodology? Why do you continue to pay the affiliate fees? Why not? Why not just? Why not just be like, okay, I got what I need, and um, I, I can do this on my own. So that's a really good question. I think there, there, there's there's probably layers to my answer. So I was um, I was pretty astonished at the backlash or the outcry around Greg's comment whenever it was two years ago, which had a lot of people unaffiliate or disaffiliate or 
whatever it's called, and, and everybody was baying for blood. Um, then during COVID, there was lots of conversations about what HQ was doing for affiliates. So some of us were forced closed, and and and, and HQ was really good about um, either reducing affiliation fees or, or, or waiving them or freezing them, etc. Um, and so there's. I think in, in, in recent years, I would say in the last, say, three years or however long it's been, HQ has done lots of work to make resources available to, to affiliate owners, which um, some I use, but the vast majority I don't. Um, I'm a firm believer in making my own way and taking responsibility for my circumstances and my situation. And I never paid... The first affiliate, in fact, I got an email just before I signed on with you guys from, from HQ as a reminder that my affiliation fee is due on the 1st of February. Um, and I'll be, so I, we turned five in, in March and not once in that time have I or my partners felt we needed to look to HQ for guidance or direction uh, or anything else for that matter. I was happy to pay. I knew what the barrier of entry was. It was 3,000 US at the time. It's now 2250 for the African affiliate. But at the time, I knew that I wanted to be associated with this brand, with, with the methodology, with the brand, because it had been such a... It's given me so much. And I think this is kind of... This ties in maybe with why I'm on your show today, because you... And I, I re-watched the, the, the clip that you made about affiliates the other day. You know about what they about what they do and about how valuable they are. Um, I was listening to the lady that was on the previous show, Kat, who was talking about dropping like a huge six-figure income to become a coach out of her garage. Um, and somewhere in somewhere in the content that I studied for for the L three. Somebody relays, I think it's at one of the very, very early seminar staff kind of uh, like, um, um, kind of a symposium or a get together, a conference. Um, and I'm, 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 uh, I'm kind of, I'm not looking for context. I just, I, I can't repeat the, I, I can't repeat what, what uh, Coach Glassman said verbatim, but, but essentially it came down to the only, the only reason we're, in this life is to serve other people. And I, I, I forget who says it, it's another coach. I think it's Ben Bergeron. In fact, one of the journal articles is Bergeron talking to coach and it's, it's something that's it's, it's in the context of what we're talking about. It's kind of like um, the affiliation for me is although it's a sizable amount of money, um, I think it's a small price to pay to get to do what we do daily as coaches. Um, when you see the effect I remember another quote, and I, think, I mean, he's made so many, he's made so many notable quotes, but I remember him saying, show me, don't show me the affiliate that has sent somebody to the games. Show me the affiliate that has stripped a hundred pounds of one of their members. And I see that daily, like every day. I see, I have a girl at my box. She was, uh, she had a hugely traumatic incident just over a year ago. She lost her daughter in a car accident, um, she saw it happen. She was in the car behind the car that her kid was in. Damn. And, and she, she's been with us for a year. And 
the community and the methodology has kept her off antidepressants for the last 12 months. God, that's so, a great story. It's incredible. I mean, I'll, I'll DM you the de- I'll, I'll, I'll send you the details. I'd love like, to have her on the show. I know it's only been a year, but if she would come on the show, I'd love to hear that story. You know, and, and, and I'm using her as an example, but there's so many other people that come to the affiliate. And, and so I look at the affiliation fee, and I just think we're in this, this incredible position to change people's lives. And there's a, there's a, um, there's a handle on, on Instagram called Best Hour of Their Day. It's like a coaching, it's a coaching platform. Um, the phrase comes up so often in the methodology that we have this responsibility to entertain and, 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 and make fit these people that come to us for 60 minutes. And it's a huge responsibility. And so the affiliation fee doesn't even factor into our financial conversation. When we do our financial planning for the year, the affiliation money has been put aside and it's there. I'm going to pay it. I'll probably pay it next week. Um, and it, it doesn't factor into our financial planning at all. Like our, our considerations is, is how do we make this place um, how do we make this place an incredible place where people are safe and where they feel cared for and where they're able to prioritize their health and their fitness and where they're able to make friends. Um, and the only rule at the boxes is don't be an asshole. It, it literally is the only is don't, if you come through the door and you can co- coexist with 240 other people, then we're happy to have you. But if you're an asshole, you need to go somewhere else. So the affiliation fee really doesn't factor into any of the, of the conversation for us. Um, Sorry, I went, the, I, went, I went up on a tangent there. No, I really liked it. Here's the thing. Here's why um, I'm, I'm, I love interrupting people, but here's why I didn't interrupt you. Because it's a question I ask every affiliate owner, and they all, all their answers are basically like yours. You, oh, okay. You basically, they, they don't have an answer, and they end up saying the same thing that, you know, I heard this from Greg, and I think this is where you heard it too. Our only purpose, our only value in life is the service we provide other people. that's exactly what i was referring to and so that's why that's why you know like if a guy's playing the violin on the corner some of us give him a dollar because he's adding value if someone's Mm -hmm. serving hot dogs Mm -hmm. we go buy a hot dog from him even if we don't want one because he's serving value we want to support the things where people are adding value you know that's why we tip the kid who opens your wife's car door and says hi ma'am oh you're pregnant here let me get your bags for you because he's offering value to you he's taking care of your wife and so you give him a five instead of a one you know like we we, we want to vote that way. I mean, some of us, unfortunately, some of us don't understand that mechanism. Uh, but you said you wanted to be um, associated with the brand. Mm-hmm. And what what a crazy – I mean, that's how powerful that this thing is, right? I mean, that's enough for you to pay uh, to the twenty two fifty a year is just to be associated with the brand. Because, because I believe it's life-changing. Sorry to interrupt you. Right. I, I, I really my, – my comment to your video, which was, what, a month ago, the, the video about the affiliates, and, and I commented on that, and, and, and it was a lengthy comment because I felt so strongly about it. It, it was just – it's been a life-changer for me, and I see the change in people every day. So, the, so, so when I say I wanted to be associated with the brand, I wanted – I wanted to be associated with this thing that that gives so much to so many people, and and yes, people pay 
they, they, they pay me for, for the access to my box and, and, and for the affiliate and I pay my coaches. And, but we're not getting rich from it. It's definitely not a great retirement plan. Hey, um, there's an argument that even if you don't go to a box, you should give money to it. That was my point. That's how strong yeah. – that's how fucking strong the affiliate is. If you don't go to an affiliate and you donated $100 to it – all of that is making your community better. So somewhere in that box is a little boy or a little girl who's watching their parents work out who your little boy or your little girls might marry someday. Those are the people that um, when you have a flat tire, they stop on the side of the road and help you. Those are the people that help old ladies carry their groceries out to the car. These are the people who have the endorphin and uh, dopamine rush. When they walk outside the gym, they smile to 100 people and say hi. I mean, it's all the fucking good people. It's all the good people. It's it's it's, yeah. it's it's absolutely nuts. I can't emphasize it enough. It's um, I and I see it more and more as I get older. I see it more and more as I get older, and and I and I sort of have stepped a little farther away from it from working at HQ. It's like wow, these wow. places are truly incredible. I was just talking to Greg about it the other day. I was telling him what I said. He's like, yeah, dipshit. I, I mean, he didn't say this, but I'm thinking, I'm pretty, yeah, dipshit. I taught you all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, it's, just, it's such an incredibly cool and rewarding thing to be a part of. And so it, it made sense. It, 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 it continues to make sense. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I'm grateful. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I get, I get to hear you. So it's a, um, what, what I would call it in some shows is a, um, What's that? What's that? What's that word where where, where people pay money to the church? Tithing. Or like if you had a motorcycle club you belong to, it's the money you would just pay into the motorcycle club so that the place can be kept open and people can go in there and drink sure. a beer. Let, let me ask you um, this. Uh, you, you said something very strong where your clients there, the members of your gym, you refer to it as their box, CrossFit Damascus, and they love the box and that these 240 people in that equation, it becomes, I think in, uh, yeah, cult. Yes. That's the word I'm looking for. Cult in, in that equation, it becomes even more of an imperative. I think that the coaches care at least as much as the clients if not more, which becomes mm -hmm. so difficult. It, it's, it's part of the business model that other businesses um, uh, don't have to worry about. Meaning like it doesn't matter if uh, the guy at 7-Eleven, who the fuck it is. Yeah, I, I don't know if you have 7-Eleven there, but it's just a store that sells sugar and alcohol, yeah. right? Yeah. And so like if I run in there, I get a bag of sunflower seeds and an energy drink. And the, I don't like if the guy's like high on meth, it doesn't matter. I just need the quick exchange, mm -hmm. slide my credit card in and leave. You, you can't have that. And so no, finding no. coaches must just be like that. Your coaches are in a competition with the clients of who cares more for the gym. It's, 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 uh, and I, and I, and I recently heard a, a, co a gym owner, big gym owner on the East coast called me and he goes, dude, my clients care about the gym more than my coaches. And I was like, wow, Ooh. it's the same thing when you take your kids somewhere, like you care more about that place than the coach, which sucks because you're taking your kid there. Uh, do you have trouble? Do you have trouble finding good coaches? No. Okay. Um, so much for that. I, I think. <laughs> well, no. So, so you brought this. You, you brought this up when when you and Kat were talking. It, it came up in the conversation, um, and I thought about that. 
and I, I, I can honestly say that I have the most incredible coaching staff because they are all, you know, bear in mind that none of them are making big money from coaching at Damascus. So they have their day jobs. So it's not their primary thing. Um, I'm very particular about who, who represents our brand, mine and my partners. The, the idea of Damascus was mine. Uh, the, the vision for Damascus was mine, but my, my, my partners being my wife and then Phil and Kasten, um, have, have, I have full buy-in from them. And so the coaching staff, and I think it's kind of like, it's a culture you portray. I don't know how it works in other markets. I don't know how it works in other communities. I know I've, um, I've seen lots of stuff online about uh, box owners that complain about coaches that are on their phones or, you know, they're kind of between other things and it's not a priority for them. But I, I can honestly say for the seven people that are under my, under my umbrella, that they care as much as the members do. And I, I think that that's what makes Damascus an incredibly powerful place is that the coaches actually give a shit. Um, and, and you can't we teach run a that, can you? I mean, that has no, to kind of be given from here by your parents or something, right? Yeah. So, so wherever it comes from, I look. I, I do. I, I do think you you can teach it. Um, I think it takes yeah. time. We we run, we run a really tight ship, you know. So we have a policy that the coaches are there 15 minutes before their class and 15 minutes after their class. They know all the members by name. Um, we do a good a good amount of coaches development during the year because I'm invested in them. I mean, they're effectively they are the front. The, the the front of house for my business they're the people they see more of my members than i do i only coach two classes you know so 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 a lot of the a lot of my members see more of my coaches than they see of me because i'm because we have this this roster that's spread out all over the place but um i also do think though that that, that like like with members where the system is is kind of uh it's self-adjusting you know, if somebody comes to the box and they're not a good fit for the box, eventually they drift away, they move. And I think, so we have a very small coaching community. I mean, if we have uh, 30, I'd have to check on the trainer on the trainer, trainer directory, but we might be, I think we're lucky if we're 30 coaches countrywide, 25, 30 coaches. They, they all know each other. They all paid good money to do something that isn't really an investment in their in their future, it's definitely not a retirement plan, you know. So they they've invested in themselves and they're investing in the community. Um, but I think if we've had people come along who have moved away again, you know, because maybe there wasn't as much synergy as they needed it to be or what we needed. And so I think the system kind of regulates itself. But but I can certainly say for for my crew, I can't speak for anybody else. But the seven guys that, that, that wear the Damascus, they have a coach, you know, we have coaches apparel that wear the Damascus emblem on their, on their shirt and that have coach at the back of it are very, very deeply invested in my community. Yeah. Um, does that um, formula that I bring up make sense to you? Am I, do you think that I'm, I'm speaking um, like, does that, does that resonate with you? Like, holy shit. Yeah. The, the coach, the, the members better not care more than the coaches. No, they. So, so when I say that that my members are are invested in the box, they take ownership in the box. I think yeah. that's what the members get to do. But I think it's 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 imperative that the coaches would always care more than the members do. You know, I think what the what what the box offers members is one thing, but what the the 
what uh, what we represent as the coaching staff always needs to be more than that because I think if if that's out of balance, I think you have a problem. Yeah, like I guess the, in a simple way, say it, you don't want this client showing up at the door calling saying, "Where's the coach?" You want the coach calling the clients, being like, "Hey, you haven't been here in two weeks. Is everything okay?" Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and I, 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 for for me though, I, that kind of thinking is, uh, it's almost like, isn't that logical? Yeah, it is. But then that, maybe that's. But then there's jobs like Seven Eleven, where the the vast yeah, majority of the business model. What? <laughs> no, I just think like CrossFit affiliate Seven Eleven, and, and and I think there's a lot of other there's a lot of other kind of there's a lot of other places out there like jobs where people don't need to give a shit, right? They're just they're punching the clock, they're in and out. But this is very different. Um, and and I I think. But you know what's interesting though? Let me say this real quick. If you worked at Seven Eleven or I worked at Seven Eleven, we would bring the same thing there. Oh, yeah. sir, your circuit club is dripping as he was at the register. Let me get you a new one, even though it's not our fucking job. Oh, yeah. hey, hey, that hot, those hot dogs just came in. Give me 30 seconds. I'll get you a warm one. Oh, my God, we got these new cigarettes over here. Wait till you try these. I mean, we would be – we couldn't help it. But that – I mean, that, that speaks to – I think largely that speaks to a culture of, of mediocrity. Yeah. You know, people, like there's a lot of people that just don't care anymore. And why that is, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's a ra- that's a completely different rabbit hole. But I, I agree with you. I think if you if you live your life with a spirit of excellence, um, and the things that you do, like your podcast. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of time you've invested into today's episode, but it's early morning with you guys. You know, it's late afternoon with me, guys. With with me, um, I, you've done a sizable amount because it matters. And, and you care and it matters to you, matters to both of you. You know, so I, I think if you approach life with a spirit of excellence and, and, and you're kind of always striving to push the bar, to raise the bar, then, you know, the saying how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, I, I, I try and apply that as far as I can. I don't get it right all the time, but, but I, I, it's kind of like my lens on life. I used to, I worked in this home for disabled adults and I had to wash this old dude who is in a wheelchair. Yeah. And, and I had to wash him like once a week and I did that for years, five years. And you can only imagine the shit and all that stuff. But I was, I would always give myself the pep talk. <sighs> just imagine that this is like your bro. I don't even have a brother, but just imagine this is your brother. Yeah. Like wash his, like you would want to be washed yourself. Like just, yeah. And you know what? It was so beautiful and freeing and he so fucking appreciated me. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we, you get in these situations. I mean, I mean, shit, if you're the guy who picks up trash at the park, like, like teach yourself to whistle at the same time. Mm. Right. I mean, there's not a, it's an attitude. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, the you're gonna be you're gonna be you're gonna, you're the goal is to be full time there and to get on uh, seminar staff. Getting on seminar staff is really hard. What do you think your chances are? I I don't know. It's not something I'm. It's not something I'm. Kind of, I'm I'm not building my my future plans around it. I mean, this is something I'd I'd aspire to do or in de- yeah definitely aspire to do. Um, I think in the African context. Um, there's a window of opportunity there because there aren't many people that are seminar staff in Africa. So I think Africa in that sense. Oh, the bar's really low and you're going to slip under. 
that's pretty much, no, that's pretty much the strategy. No, so they've actually lowered the standard for seminar staff for Africa. They've dropped it down to L2, where everywhere, everywhere else you need an L3 to, to even be considered. Um, they've dropped that down to L2 for Africa. Um, and I Hey, that's a good sign. That means that they're experiencing growth there. That's a good sign. Yeah, but it, but it, it was kind of like a, a, this happened as I was studying for my exam. Um, there was an update on 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 the site about um, about credentials for for seminar staff and potential applicants, and I thought, you know what? So I could have just done the application then, but I wanted to do the L three. I, I, I needed to know that I that I had what it takes to hold an L three credential. I didn't know what that looked like, and I didn't know what would be asked of me. But I'm glad that I did the exam, and I'm glad that I hold the credential. So you know, even if I, I mean, even if I get uh, an intern slot. And I don't make it to seminar staff because I think it's a really big deal to wear to wear a red shirt. You know, if I get to if I get to do a couple of seminars as an intern, I think there's massive value in that from personal growth and also from an educational point of view. So, you know, it's something it's a project I'm working on. Um, and it's something I'm going to pursue. And if it's meant to be, it'll happen. And beyond that, it's out of my hands. Um, did Chad, did someone tell you, hey, you should try? Yeah, Chad did. Oh, that's a good sign. Yeah, that's so, a good sign. So, um, that's really about a cultural fit. I mean, in, in I've been around a lot of seminar staff, and you seem to be a great cultural fit. fit. You're so sober. You're you're like so. You know what I mean? I don't mean sober in the in the in the traditional in sense. The, but you, you, you feel grounded. Is all get out, and you have a ton of great energy. Well, I mean, it's, I, I I think um, I think I have something to give, and 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 I'm. I mean, I'm I'm 55, you know, so it's a pretty it's pretty late in my life to be making this strong departure from a steady income to going coaching full time. Whether I make seminar staff or not is, is is irrelevant, you know. I'm 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 definitely putting myself at risk by going to coaching full time. I need to I need to build a new business from that. But there's other things, there's other irons I have in the fire. But as as far as making seminar staff goes, I I just I think there's so much power in the methodology, and if I was in a position to teach other people that, I think there's huge for me, there's huge value in that. You know, I just, I, I, I believe in what we do. Awesome. Uh, is there anything that um, I missed that when you thought you came on that we should talk about? No, I had, I had no idea how this was going to go. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I followed your, I've, I've, I followed your content, you know, the, the early games, the, the early games days and stuff like that. Um, and I've, I've, uh, I followed the, the podcast, but I didn't know how this, it's the first time I've ever been on a podcast. So I, I really didn't know how this was going to go. And then I, which is why I went and listened to the, uh, the, the previous one, the, the one with Kat on just to kind of get a feel for, for what we'd be talking about. Um, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to talk about CrossFit in Africa and CrossFit in Namibia. And it's kind of cool to think that you guys, that the three of us are on separate continents and we get to have this Crazy. awesome conversation around something that's, that's, that's given me, that has given me so much value. Okay. Then let me ask, I'll finish with one personal question. Nothing to do with CrossFit. Yeah. Cool. How great is it to be 50? No, not that, but it is really great to be 50. God, I'm so glad I found CrossFit, took care of myself, but that's not the question. Um, um, uh, you were talking about the price of real estate and uh, Namibia being expensive. Yeah. 
is that a place like Americans who are looking for a place to go? Like I hear Portugal is amazing. People are going to Costa Rica. Americans are going all over. Is Namibia uh, one of those places or is it uh, like to move to the coast there? Like, is it a beautiful beach there? I mean, if I have uh, $5 million in the bank, um, should, should I uh, move there and disappear off the face of the earth? I think if, if, if you want to live in if I have $1 million, is, uh, should I do that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd be styling with a million dollars. So I think if you want to live somewhere that's, that's pristine and that's remote and that, that's um, sparsely populated, I think Namibia is a great place. I think if, you, if, if, you're, um, if kind of all you want to do is, is leave, let's say, uh, you're in Santa Cruz, where are you? Yeah, I'm in Santa Cruz, California. Yeah, so, so you want to leave the West Coast, but you kind of wanted to have similar amenities, then this isn't the place for you. Yeah, can you grow anything um, there? Can you grow an apple tree there? What's the what? Can you grow cherry yeah, trees so, and apple so, tree? Can you grow? Uh, can there be? So there, there, there's big rivers on on both boundaries on the northern and the southern border. There's there, there's big rivers that flow, so there's access to water. There's people that grow grapes. There are people that grow olives. There um there are vegetables. Um, yeah, so you can grow stuff. But I I, I think it's um. To say it's backward isn't isn't true. I mean, in many, you know, I'm sitting on, on like great uh, fiber internet with you guys. So so in town, you have everything that you need. You have a first world, but a lot of Namibia is still very third world. And 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 so you know, if you were to move to the coast again, when when we're done on the on 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 the podcast, have have a look at the skeleton coast, which is essentially our coastline. You know, like huge wrecks and and uh, not huge wrecks, old wrecks, shipwrecks and stuff like that. Um, there's a there's an organization I work for called the Desert Lion Project. Um, they're on Instagram, so they do research on the desert adapted lions up in in the wilderness area. There, um, if if that kind of thing is your thing, then I think Namibia would be great for you. But it, but if it's not, if you you know if you want comfortable living, then I suppose Spain or Portugal or somewhere like that would be would probably be better. I mean, your house looks nice. I mean, you're, I'm looking and like, look, there's 90 degree angles in the corner. I haven't seen any giant bugs fly by. Um, you have glass. You have yeah, internet. You live in a, I, mean, I live you in a, a great place. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to, to build this myself 11 years ago. Um, so I built this between working. And, and it, it, uh, a friend of mine is a really good architect. So he did the, you know, he did the layout. And it's a great piece of land. And we have really good quality of life. So, I mean, I, I really I want for nothing. It's a, it's a really cool property. Are there drug addicts in, in Namibia and in homeless people like zombies walking around? Yeah. There are. Yeah, zombies, uh, homeless people. Yeah, but 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 um, and and so a lot of the a lot of the homeless kids, a lot of the homeless people um, use glue as a as uh. they sniff glue. Um, but there's drug addicts. I mean, there's the uh, crack cocaine. Uh, our, our derivative, of it, which is called tip, has made its way here. There are people that. Uh, that have uh, there's lots of addiction. I mean, there's, there's alcohol. There's this. Um, okay, I'll stay here. I'll stay here. Maybe, maybe more. <laughs> yeah, I'll stay here. I mean, we have we have that here. That's we have, oh, we, sure. have we have so much of that here. It's just fucking crazy. No, I, I know. I mean, I remember. I remember. I saw some footage the other day on one of your news channels of 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 the was it the trains in Los Angeles? Like, uh, I, I forget. It was like a oh um. Your, your big postal service, FedEx or, 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 or U.S. Postal or whatever, they were missing parcels and there were a bunch, a whole bunch of trains 
that had kind of been derailed and people were just, and there was just litter everywhere. Um, and I, so I kind of get the sense that the homeless situation in, in, in the States is really big. I think in California, there's more, by the way, they're, they're all, they're all drug addicts, by the way, don't let anyone tell you different. I mean, the, 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 the mother that you see sleeping in her car with her kids is very far and few between. You won't see those, but the, the California has more of these homeless drug addicts than all of the other states combined. And it's obviously because of the weather. I mean, well, I mean well, who, because the weather is good. Yeah, because you can sleep outside yeah. and not freeze to death, right? right? And then, right. of course, and then the and then there has been a, an entire economy, a billion dollar economy, probably large. We have probably have a larger homeless economy. That's the people that are helping than the entire GDP, mm-hmm. uh, Namibia. I bet you. I bet you it's ten times. Yeah, yeah. it's just I crazy. Would, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And so those people don't want to lose their jobs, and so it becomes this. This cycle. That spiral. Yeah, the cycle. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if you want to come visit, we have a guest room. You'd be welcome, both of you. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, Caleb would like make, to go anywhere it. besides where he is. Do you have, <laughs> do you have, he just wants some good food. Do you have any food? Do you have any food? <laughs> any food, food at all? We've got great food, Caleb. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely it's a, it's a, it's a cool place to live in. It's definitely a cool place to visit. Uh, you are always, always welcome. Uh, if you come to Santa Cruz to stay with me also, Patrick, you're always welcome. I, I remember, I think we connected and you always had very nice things to say to me. Um, many years ago, we connected at least, right? Yeah, we talked about the, well, we talked about the boys and we talked about the, um, I had two burbles. Have you still got a burble? Oh, yes. We have the same dog. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe we have the same dog. What a great dog. Yeah. Mine's great. Mine are both gone, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but that, that was, I, I think that was the first time you and I spoke was about the dogs. Yeah, that's yeah. Diesel. Yeah, great that's dogs. I, I can't, I, I mean, that's a brave lad right there. Uh, if When I get mine riled up, it is, it is nuts. I mean, I have to tell my kids, hey, I mean, she won't bite them, but she'll just run someone over. Yeah, yeah they, I mean, they're big dogs, but, but such cool animals. Oh, such cool animals. Yeah, such cool animals. Awesome, awesome. And yeah, the lawn there looks like shit. I replaced that with AstroTurf. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my that's what your lawn ends up looking like when you have a dog like that. I yeah. got that too. Yeah. Yeah, such cool dogs. Anyway. Uh, thank you very much. Uh you, you have my phone number. Text me anytime. Stay in touch. Pleasure to meet you. you. Um tell your wife thanks for letting us borrow you for a couple hours. And and thanks for the opportunity to chat. And and more importantly, thank you for what you do for uh for all of us, for the community. We appreciate awesome. you. I appreciate Thank you. you. Thank that you. means a lot. Taylor, that, way time, I don't have to, that way I don't have to jerk myself off in the beginning of every show. <laughs> it's been awesome talking to you guys. Thank you very much. All right. Ciao, brother. Take it easy. We have no idea, Africa. We have no idea. I started Googling what it would take to like move over there. Oh, yeah. What did you find? I know. As soon as I talk to people like that, I'm like, I'm out of here. It looks it looks pretty doable. Just gotta find a job. What's the what's the uh you probably could take care of some drug addicts and home you you have the skills to do it. Skeleton yeah, probably. and skeleton coast. Just, just living in the middle of nowhere sounds great. Oh shit. He's not joking about the shipwrecks. Oh yeah, it's legit. 
Oh, so is this one of those places that you see where they um, they just drive old oil tankers up against the coast? Maybe. I don't know. I've seen that before, too. I don't know if that's Namibia. Look at this thing. That's legit. Wow. We actually have a giant, giant boat uh, off the coast here. It's uh, right up against a pier. It's called Shipwrecks in California. I wonder if I can take that in. It's right by my house. I ran stairs there yesterday with my mom. Shipwrecks uh, Santa Cruz. Yeah, look at this giant ship. Just right off the... If there's oh, a better wow. picture of it. Yeah, it's, it's massive. It's basically this. Guy surfing wow. in front of it. That's wild. Are you coming home soon? I don't know. I don't get my hopes up. You can never trust. Uh, you can never trust. Like anything can change. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'll be here forever, but I'm not going to put all my chips in one basket. Eggs in one basket. Eggs in one basket. 3.5 years and would always go to Nambia for the weekend. Is it Nambia or Namibia? Namibia. 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 Um, oh, lived in the country north of Namibia for th- three years. Does that country have a name? Angola. So you have a date you're coming home, but you don't want to get heartbroken if the date gets moved. Yeah, it seems to be the uh, you've seen that happen all the time. Yeah, anytime I've they've been given me anytime I've been given a date in the four years that I've been in the military, it's like never legit. So, have you seen other people where they're like, okay, I'm leaving in a week, and then like a week goes by, and you're like, you're still here, and you're like, yeah, another six months. Yeah, not oh, like shit. not like six months, but like they could be here for like another week, another week, another week. Um, the guy who will replace you will he come? like a week before you go so you can like get them up to speed on like who has venereal diseases and yeah. And where the mice hide out in the hospital and shit like that. Yep. Has that guy arrived yet? Uh-uh. I wonder if we'll see, I wonder if I'll notice a notice, a noticeable demeanor change in you when that guy arrives, but like, Hmm, like you'll be like in your chair like this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'll be excited until like I'm on a plane leaving. We're going to have to, and, and, and when you fly home, um, will it be a nonstop flight to the States? No, I'll make a stop and then I'll be there for a few days and then I'll, and then I'll fly home. And, and do you stop there because that's just part of the protocol? Like someone has to like, do you have to take a physical or they have to make sure like you're mentally okay or. You don't have to, but I requested it because it sounded fun. So. Are you regretting it? You're like, fuck, I should have no. just gone straight home. <laughs> I don't really want to go home, honestly. You don't? No. Part of me is like, this is too much fun. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, could you bring your wife out there? No. You couldn't? Mm-mm. No. Has anyone brought their wife out there? No. Unless you're like a contractor. If you're if you're a civilian working for the government, then you probably I think you can. But what can. if your wife flew out there? Could you get off? 
some people have done that and then they get in trouble. Oh, it's, like, it's, it's sketchy. It's a, yeah. I mean like it's totally feasible, but, but frowned upon. Yeah. What's, what's the highest ranking? Is there a high ranking person where you're at? Is there a general near you? I don't know. So you don't see some, you don't see someone like that every day. No. Um, Daniel said something very interesting about, um, on, uh, there, I think he said somewhere in the comments that Namibia was the first country in Africa that was able to take wastewater and recycle it into drinking water. I, I was like, I don't know if I should read that one. It's kind of, I mean, it's, it's kind of an impressive technological feat, but if you believe it works, sure. My cousin and his wife have five kids. Oh, I, I spent a bunch of time in Malawi too. I forgot about that. And they go back to uh, the 17th to Malawi, go preach the gospel of Jesus. Of course, everyone's doing the, doing the Jesus card just so they can travel. I was on a mission trip. Yeah. I bet you were. I was banging cock in Bangkok. I mean, preaching the. But those sisters were fine. Yeah, yes. Uh, here we go. Oh, in the world, dir- uh, direct potable reuse. Oh, meaning they just piss in a pan and then you boil it? What do you mean, direct potable? No idea. Uh, beaver, blink twice if you're. <laughs> 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 I got to keep my eyes open, I guess. <laughs> That's so good, Ryan. Uh, they moved there four years ago, going back for more. Yeah, cool. Malawi's awesome. Africa's awesome. It's uh, especially, I mean, the fact that that guy has internet and uh, a home like that. I mean, if you can get some good quality shelter and some internet and you have the things to keep you busy to, uh, you know, practice your art, which he does. He has 240 clients. That That's mind boggling, right? In a town of 325,000 and the, the biggest town right. in your country. Yeah, that's nuts. What's the aerial look like over that town? Can we like, like a drone shot? What was the town? Windhoek. Wind Wind? I was, I was afraid to start saying words because I knew I was going to be saying them all wrong. Oh, they got some like big buildings there. Yeah, it looks like I, I think yeah. I saw some like skyscrapers and stuff. And they got like it looks like they had like a famous town. Okay, I saw an F forty five on the map. F forty five, yeah, that's hilarious. What is that? That's a, like um, that's a like a boot camp thing. Yeah, it's CrossFit without a soul. It's, it's Mark oh. Wahlberg saying. Yeah, look, it's even got German names. Ludwigsdorf. Yeah, when he said his parents, when he said his grandfather was in the German military, boy, I had a lot of questions then. <laughs> I, just, I pushed yeah, those. One, I pushed those ones down. <laughs> Are you tired of being alone? Please check out our sponsor, 69mega.com. We'll help you. How how has YouTube not figured out how to stop bots? Ask Elon. Is Caleb chasing Sokol? Oh, great. Who is that? We're about to see. S-O-K-O-L. I don't know. Says it's a gymnastics. Um, let me put in news. Says it's a gym. Um, no. 
Is that is that like some sort of terrorist? <laughs> no idea. I don't know what that means. Blink three times. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, blink three times with your left eye if you're staying with Yevgeny. <laughs> I cannot believe I haven't have Yevgeny on. I think I, he's he's out there. He's still he's still coaching and everything. I need to. I I, I DM him. I send him a WhatsApp saying, "Hey, when are you going to come on?" He says, "Anytime." And then I always drop the ball. I know that I. I think I've done that with a couple of people we've been trying to get on to. <laughs> Sorry. I want to show, I want to, I do want to show you guys this though, just before we leave. Look at this. This is, it's not a big deal. This is, uh, so this is what his town looks like. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah, it looks very German. That's a cool, that must be like the ultimate tourist destination. You know, when I was at CrossFit, the reason one of the, like, there was always this talk, should we lower affiliate fees um, for affiliates that are in countries where the dollar is not strong? And the thought was this, at least one of the arguments was this, if we lower the cost of affiliates, uh, the affiliate fee in Brazil, then the people in Mississippi are going to complain. They're going to be like, fuck you, life's here is harder than it is in fucking Rio. And so you open up this whole door. Holy shit, Robert Mugabe, Robert Mugabe Avenue. Isn't that guy like a full-blown Wasn't that a bad guy? Oh, that's cool. That's a statue? Or is that a real person? Can't tell if that's a bronze statue or a real person. He was the prime minister of Zimbabwe? Yeah, I think he did some really bad shit. Or at least we're supposed to believe that. Okay, so this is what I think it looks like uh, outside of his house. This is what I was picturing. Just African bush? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. He's got like leopards and shit roaming around his backyard. Yeah. They got a railway. They use a third of the country's water to keep that grass green. That's the parliament (laughs) building. (laughs) All right. It's very soon. I'm getting nervous. It's very soon. All sorts of shit's about to fucking come down the pipe on the show. Yay. I got something exciting for Wednesday, I think. Very, 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 very exciting. Oh, it looks like we have Olivia Kerstetter tomorrow morning. Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, thank you. Thanks for the trip to Namibia. Um. Yeah, dictator. Right. Corrupt. Uh, uh, corrupt son of a bitch. Uh, can never go out with Chuck Taylors unless you want to run off course. Meaning they'll melt out there. Somebody was asking about minimalist shoes. He said Chuck Taylors. Savon, did you see Daniel Brandon going team with Nistler and Taylor? Is that for Wadapalooza? Are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. That's true. It is true. Let's get her on. We should get uh, all three of them on. Matt, uh, who's who do I? Oh, Danielle. Um. Uh. Hey, uh, Matt. Can we get Danielle on 
tomorrow after Olivia, 7.45 a.m. And I put Danielle on this too. Matt, can we get Danielle? Oh, in. No, not in, on. Okay. Just to say hi and stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh she dropped off the team. Oh, never mind. She cancel. Yes. No, she was supposed to be on the team, but pulled out. God, God damn it. I already text her. She'll say no. Anyway, don't worry. Okay. Um, Caleb and I, Caleb, that was fun today, right? Yeah, it was good. I like that. Well, we learned, I think after two hours of the show today, what we've learned is this. Caleb doesn't want to come home for some reason, um, which is just weird, but we will explore it. Yeah. We'll explore that in future shows. Um, Hi, bye, bye-bye.